This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. And uh, it's a very special day today. Very special day. It is Terry's birthday. Yes! Happy birthday to you. <laughs> yes! Terry's Happy birthday. birthday. It's the month also of the birth of your children. No. She, One child. She was born in September. Oh, that's right. How about your wife? Yeah, she shares, shares the same month, right? Yeah, hers is next week. <laughs> Terry, happy birthday. How did Spanking you... machine. No, Spanking no. Spanking machine. <laughs> no. We that's have an awkward. HR department, and they yeah. have rules against such things. I know. It's How did the HR you department uh, find that... out this information? Via the HR department. Someone came and told you? Uh-huh. Or they sent you an email? Hey, guys, They the sent way, me an email? I hate that. They said that you love a good uh, celebration. I hate that. So we'll have to put That's some money together. That's a violation of my privacy. Yeah. I think my privacy. Well, actually, That's we've ridiculous. also. I like uh, that. You want a violation of your privacy. In about an hour, we're going to be revealing all of your medical charts. <laughs> well, I haven't been to the doctor in over a decade, so go ahead. I know. So they're old, <laughs> but they're funny. Do okay. Remember? Do you remember the. Yeah. No, there's really nothing. Well, remember the thing? No, there's never been a thing. I'm healthy. Remember the thing that they had to lance? When I was 12? <laughs> ah, it's coming out. Okay, great. <laughs> no, I'm making this all up. I was a kid. Happy birthday. How old are we? 39? Wow. Yeah, 39. I'll lose track. It doesn't matter. You're having kids Age, age a very is a social age. construct with no meaning. No, it's actually, if you cut your leg off and count the rings, you can see how old you are. I know. <laughs> like an old tree. So we'll get some more birthday celebrations. We will do a spank machine. No, we won't. And <laughs> okay, it's fun because it's very rarely do we celebrate or, or uh, surprise Terry. Yeah, and today it happened. Great job, thank you very much. And thank you to Andy. Yeah, he does that. He sent me emails for some of the producers. Did I do anything with that information? No. That's why he sent it to me. Yeah, because he knew I would well, get it. Done. Well, was he going to send it to me? I'll yeah, go, yeah, no. I, I'm aware of this information. I know it's my birthday. Hey, by the way, you share your birthday with You Go Girl Day. You Go Girl. Yeah, I saw that. That was... <laughs> I don't, they fit so well together. Yeah, it works. It's also Face Your Fears Day. Do you want to stop here or face your fear? I'd like face to stop right here. He's facing his fear. He's facing his fear. What is that audio from? <clears throat> that is from a little wonderful picture called Defending Your Life with wow. Albert Brooks. Oh, it sounds fantastic. So, uh, Terry's birthday and You Go Girl Day. Hmm. Also Face Your Fears Day. What a party we're having here. All of that fun, plus um, we've got a, a really interesting interview about American exceptionalism. Do you believe out there that the United States of America was founded by a loving God who wanted to change the world. Many, many do. And you can see that we obviously believe in that because of our political system right now. Inherently all about a loving God. Hmm. We'll talk about American exceptionalism and what it means abroad. 
and how we uh, how it how it informs our public policy and our international policy. So, uh, very interesting discussion about that coming up, and as well a lot of headlines, some of which you'll really want to know about, a few of which maybe not so much. But first, let's get to the national headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Hillary Clinton leads Donald Trump by more than 10 percentage points in two new national polls released early Monday afternoon. In a new poll by NBC News and The Wall Street Journal in a four-way ballot, Clinton leads Trump 46% to 35%. In a two-way ballot, the Democratic nominee leads with 52% of voters surveyed compared to 38% for Trump. In a conference call Monday morning, House Speaker Paul Ryan reportedly told Republican members of the lower chamber that he will no longer defend Donald Trump or campaign with him before Election Day, and he urged them to focus their efforts on their own re-elections. According to the New York Times, Ryan returned to the call to clarify to angry members that he was not revoking his endorsement of Trump. The second presidential debate didn't measure up to the first in at least one way, audience size. Nielsen data released Monday revealed there was a roughly 20% drop in viewership from the first debate, which took place September 26 to the second debate Sunday. While 84 million people tuned into the first presidential debate, making what Political reported was the most watched presidential debate ever, just 63 million tuned in for the second showdown between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And finally... Yes. Um, you know the the very, very century-old joke, a chicken tried to cross the road? Yeah. Well, uh, a chicken did try to cross the road in Scotland, and they were called, the police were called to an incident on October 7th in which uh, this bird was spotted wandering around the tarmac in the middle of rush hour. It was seen around 8.30 a.m., and officers arrived after drivers reported the endangered hen. The chicken mm. was giving passing motorists cause for concern, so they went and picked up the chicken and brought it back to the station. So people are saying, quote-unquote, the chicken was brought into custody. Um, and in a post on Facebook, the police said the SSPCA will be attending to the take care of the chicken until the owner's traced. Police are appealing for any information as to why the chicken was crossing the road. It was getting to the police station. No, it had somewhere to go, but we may never know because the police intercepted it. Well, I think later it crossed the road because it was in the backseat of a cruiser, police cruiser. Yeah, that's true. That's how it crossed the road. That's interesting. Oh. <gasps> We have video of it. I mean, back in the day, a chicken crossing the road, not a big deal. No. You may just hit the thing because it's in the road. Right. And then you just celebrate with a little chicken soup that (laughs) night. Thank you, Sadie. And uh, you go, girl day. (laughs) You go, girl. That is a great day. It's probably my favorite day. Next to your birthday, of course. Sure, sure, sure. Right. So, um... Is the political race still going on? Is there still a run for presidency? There is. We heard there's, there's new polls out that show that uh, Mr. Trump has taken a sizable hit. Yeah, 10 points but, down, but 11 these are, points these down. These are national polls. So in the specific states that are battleground, if you want to call them that, they, uh, th- those numbers will come out soon. They were in Hillary Clinton's favor before the debate. Who knows what they would be like well, after? Well, in fact, some um, – of the state polls that we always go over, I mean, there's some pretty big swings there now. Florida, that was even. I think actually Donald was up by about two for a time. Hillary Clinton's up 2.4 in Florida. In Ohio, Clinton's up half a point. Hmm. Pennsylvania, she's up 8.6 points. Hmm. New Hampshire, six. Uh, North Carolina, 2.6. Nevada. Nevada. 
<laughs> Nevada 1.4. So, you know, Donald Trump, where he had pulled fairly even, pulled up and bit was fairly even in some of the battleground states, he's now down quite a bit. Says who? Says who? Says who? Apparently, uh, Donald may be worried about other tapes coming out. This one's interesting. Uh, Producers of The Apprentice, the reality show that Donald Trump hosted for more than 10 years, if you were not aware of that, are uh, sitting on a bombshell footage of the GOP nominee using the N-word over and over and over again, they say. Oh, brother. Uh, This is from uh, one of the producers who claimed on Sunday. In a series of tweets, Sunday producer Chris Nee said she heard such tapes exist of Trump using the obscenity but is... Uh, isn't in possession of the footage herself. Nee, who didn't work on The Apprentice, also hinted that she and many others had signed a contract with Mark Burnett, the lead producer of the show, that would make anyone who leaked such footage liable to pay a $5 million fine. Ooh, I'd stay away from Once that. Once this was made public, a, a GoFundMe page popped up to raise the $5 million to get the video out. Ma- uh, Mark Cuban, the uh, billionaire who owns the uh, Dallas Mavericks NBA basketball team, who's also on the show Shark Tank, which is also produced by Mark Burnett, he is willing to put up the $5 million to cover the fine to get that video out also. Well, then, I mean, I'm assuming you could sue for more than $5 million. $5 million would just be the beginning because then you could sue everyone else for $5 million. $5 million for everyone. But they- the reality is, does it – Matter because we all know what the tape's going to say now. Now, why does oh, it matter to? But but there's been a lot written about what Trump has said in the past. Yeah, and all yeah. we have is words on but paper. Hearing it, but words when you hear them or see them with a video, totally true. Whole different world. Sounds like a waste of five million dollars. Could be. They Seriously. don't need it. They don't need it. Do you know what you could do with five million dollars? No, because I can't even imagine that amount. You could buy Terry a great present today. It'd be awesome. You could. How- can we make it like a quarter of a million? That's fine. Can that be the can that be the limit op- on the spending? Are you offering? Is so yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I think there should be a limit so that the people that I'm, don't have quite five million oh, okay. can participate as well. Well, let's just have it five thousand ahead. There we go. This sounds like a good deal. I like this. No, okay. all the money won't go to you. Uh, well, you just said it's like the Clinton Foundation. Only about eight percent. Oh, a portion of the proceeds. Yeah. Okay. The rest go to, quote, administrative costs. Administrative costs would be my cost of having to, you know. Think up the idea. Pull out a calculator, <laughs> add all of this up. Um, so the thing is, Donald says if, if they keep, you know, if they keep bringing up tapes, he's going to have to keep beating up President Clinton, ex-President Clinton. Yes. Future President Clinton as well. That is what he will do. <sighs> How much longer is this? Um, we have four weeks left. There's under 30 days now. I think we're, really, I think we're about 28 days. So That's good. 28 days left. 28 days. Okay. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. <laughs> it was close because Mike Pence, everyone was saying Mike Pence is running from Bill, uh, Donald Trump now. But Mike says, no, he's not. Absolutely false to suggest that at any point in time we consider dropping off this ticket. It's the greatest honor of my life to have been nominated by my party uh, to be uh, the next vice president of the United States of America. Look, uh, politics is a very tough business. I get that. This is my first time, Allison, at the, at the national level. Uh, and uh, uh, the, the fact is that, uh, uh, you know, I, as I said on Saturday, you know, I, I couldn't condone, I couldn't defend those remarks. I encouraged 
uh, Donald Trump on Friday to apologize for them. He did. Yeah. There you go. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, but I until mean, the next video. I guess. Once there's another well, video, you know, I have a feeling. P- Pence is in a weird place because this this whole exposure is good for him. Yeah. For multiple different reasons. He can, you know, he's more, his face, he can become more of a leader in his own party. Even maybe the people all, all of a sudden talking about 2020. Mm-hmm. He could be the front runner there. But at the same time, he's attached to Donald Trump. And you don't want to back out on that and then look like you've just abandoned the party. So he has right. to kind of play this weird role of... Be in, but not too far in, because you don't <laughs> want to get caught in the Be in quicksand. the party, but not of the party. Yeah. I guess. that's, Or and, be, I guess be in Trump, but not of Trump, because you want to be in the party, but yeah. did you Trump's see, the issue here. I think Trump <laughs> did figure out how to get out of this whole scandal thing, is you bring a child on stage. There you go. A Trump lookalike child, what, two, probably three, two years old, yeah. and uh, has hair like Trump. Had a little suit on. Had a cute little suit. Uh, it, was, it was a cute moment with Donald. It also kind of awkward. D- I mean, Donald doesn't necessarily know how to hold a child. No, he was kind of holding <laughs> him at arm's length. It was kind of funny. But uh, we do have some some uh, pretty fun, I, I guess. Do we call it fun audio? Yeah, sure. The kid of, talks. Uh, of Donald holding the toddler lookalike. What's your, what's your name? Name. He said name. His name is Name. Now, he's supposed to look like Donald Trump, but he's actually much too good looking. You are really handsome. That's a very good point. Are you having a good time tonight? Night. 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 Where's your daddy? And your mommy, right? Do you want to go back? Do you want to go back to them or do you want to stay with Donald Trump? Trump. He, He says the last word you say. (laughs) <laughs> Which would be a lot of fun as a parent. Oh, yeah. You just in, in comments with certain words and have the kid just repeat you. And, hmm, yeah. Who's more evil, Donald Trump or Clinton? Clinton. Clinton. <laughs> there you go. That's how that would work. Oh, see, but it just humanizes him. He seemed like right. a grandfather. <laughs> with the Whatever. cute little Trump kid. In fact, he's got his own kid that's just a little bit older than that, right? He's about, how old is, what's his name? Uh, Baron. Baron, I was going to call him Royal or something. He had to bring Baron up. And Baron's like Baron. 11 or something? So, yeah. yeah. So did you see what uh, Glenn Beck said? No, kind of. One of the standard bearers of the kind of the Tea Party type yeah. movements and that kind of thing. He went on Facebook right after um, one of the first people to go out and kind of uh, – rescind their endorsement was Utah Senator Mike Lee. He went right. on Facebook, imagined a brand new way of broadcasting himself from his library or wherever he was. <laughs> and so he, he backed out. He goes, Mike Lee has obviously reached that point where the moral compromise his party is asking him to make is simply beyond what is acceptable. It is not acceptable to ask a moral, dignified man to cast his vote to help elect an immoral man who is absent decency or dignity. If the consequence of standing against Trump and for the principles and for principles is indeed the election of Hillary Clinton, so be it, at least as a moral and ethical choice. Hmm. So Glenn Beck's being eviscerated in certain areas of conservative media for saying that Hillary Clinton would be a moral or ethical choice. Yeah. It's such a really it's such a weird space we are in. Yeah. Because it's, again, the whole thing is, well, Donald, at least with Donald, 
he he says it. he he only says it, but with the Clintons they do it. It's their actions that make the Clintons so bad. With Donald, it's just the words. But isn't it when you say the words so much that it is really doing it? After a while, I mean, after you've said sexist things, racist things, you know, misogynistic things so many times, it seems like that becomes action. Um, the other side I, I, I've had an issue with is the media and the way they've – on Sunday you're watching them play this tape. Uh-huh. And they played the tape. Over. And then they – Over. This is from CNN. Play clip one. It is very, very graphic, very disturbing, contains vulgar language. I'll play it one more time. <laughs> it's horrible. That's Let's Wolf play it Blitzer. again. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought words will never hurt me yeah, even though sticks, sticks and, stone. and stones may. Yeah, well, you know, words apparently hurt us because we don't want our kids to hear those words. So we remove our children from the room when those words are being said. And we probably do that because words are hurtful. God bless America. It actually is the perfect segue into our next guest. Uh, We are going to be talking about... American exceptionalism. Do you believe that America has a mandate from the divine to go out and change the world and make the world a better place? American exceptionalism has been a big part of this country for so, so many years. And uh, the interesting thing about it is um, the role of who feels America is exceptional kind of rotates. Now Hillary Clinton's holding up American exceptionalism You know, it used to be a very Republican thing. Now it's moved a little bit more to the Democrats. As uh, Donald Trump says, you know, we're more of a crime scene than we are an exceptional scene. Interesting stuff. We'll be talking American exceptionalism. Up next, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. A model of Christianity is a speech given by John Winthrop, a key organizer of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and is a founding document of the American exceptionalism concept. The phrase, a city on a hill, did not shape the Puritan colony, but has shaped America as a whole and still affects us today. Here to talk to us is uh, Dr. Abraham Van Engen, an associate professor of English at Washington University in St. Louis, and uh, he wrote a wonderful article that we are we're, we are citing um, from Clinton's American Exceptionalism put a new twist on an old idea. Dr. Van Engen, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. What an interesting article. Um, so American exceptionalism, uh, may, just go through and define it for us, because I think many, many people believe in it. And uh, it's interesting how kind of the, the, the owners of this concept of American exceptionalism rotates, it seems like, almost from party to party, depending on who's in office. Right, right. Well, American exceptionalism basically is the idea that America has been set apart to pursue some higher or nobler end or to bring about some greater good for the world so, so that the nation is on a kind of mission. That's the basic definition. A mission to help the, the other, to help the world in general, not just to make America great again, but really to make the world great. Right. I mean, so there's always this international sense to 
uh, American exceptionalism. And there can either be a passive sense, so America's going to do something great and be an example to the world, or an active sense where they're on a mission to save the world in some kind of way. Uh, and what exactly that way is or how America is supposed to be great, that can shift depending on the era from 17th century, 18th, 19th, 20th. Um, but but the basic rhetoric remains the same, that America has this mission, that America has been set apart by God or by history to do this great end for the world. That's, that's the basic idea. Well, and it's interesting because because um, so it really is, it's a very like religious concept, right? It's a, it's a spiritual concept. Yeah, I think there's actually religious roots and there's enlightenment roots yeah. to it. Um, so the religious roots are the kind of Judeo-Christian sense of a chosen people, right? Uh, so Israel becomes, is, is a chosen people, uh, and there's a whole lot of ministers writing in the 17th century, the 18th century, saying, uh, well, maybe Americans are now the chosen people. God chose us, right? So we're this special and peculiar people. So there's this definitely this Christian roots, but there's also an enlightenment uh, route to it, which is to say we were the first, people make this claim, the first to discover some universal freedom, some universal truth that we now need to spread to the rest of the world. Hmm. This is really, and it, I mean, I guess it goes back as far as, um, I mean, Winthrop, you bring up John Winthrop's City on a Hill, which comes from Matthew, the the scripture yeah. of Matthew, which is what Reagan made a big deal of, right? And then even right. I think Obama or uh, Bush talked about what the lights, uh, yes. uh-huh. yeah. And then, but then it switched kind of from a Republican concept, which which seems to um, which and the Democrats were the ones that weren't with, I guess Mario Cuomo is who you cited, weren't as weren't as optimistic about our giving back to the world. Yeah, well, in the 80s, you know, Mario Cuomo was trying to um, debate Reagan on this point, and he says, look, you call us a shining city on a hill. When I look out America, I see a whole lot of problems, right? So it's right. a tale of two cities. But in doing that, the Democrats got kind of branded as the people who don't stand up for American exceptionalism. Mm. And these days, they're really trying to, to flip that, especially given the kind of craziness of the, the Trump uh, election season. But but only a few years ago, 2012, the Republicans put it in their platform as uh, part of their basic um, ideology that they believe in American exceptionalism. And um, and it, it is so interesting because now uh, President Obama, Secretary Clinton, they're very much talking about American exceptionalism and the and Donald Trump is is echoing, you know, Mario Cuomo. Yeah, so, you know, Obama got blasted in 2009, I believe it was, for saying he believed in American exceptionalism the way the Brits believe in British exceptionalism and so on. And people say, well, then you don't understand exceptionalism, because hmm. there's only one nation could be exceptional, that's us, <laughs> right? Uh, but actually, if you look at the larger sort of corpus of his speeches, uh, he has always been telling the tale of an America that begins with the Puritans, that has stood up for freedom, that is uh, trying to spread this freedom to the world. And now Clinton has come out recently and says that she also believes in American exceptionalism. In fact, she called it the core principle that has guided her political career. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? And it's so um, – because it doesn't feel like our presidential election this year, there's a lot of exceptionalism in it. No. Do you know right. what I mean? It's like the race to the bottom is not the best way to promote exceptionalism around the world. Right. Well, and this was the story of the summer conventions, right? The Republicans was doom and gloom, and the Democrats kind of saw an opportunity and really adopted Reagan's shining city on a hill as their own to mm. try to 
become the optimists, the, the ones who call for American exceptionalism. You know, the, the concept has always had this, this relationship to Jeremiah's, though, this sense that uh, we are called to be great, but we can always be falling away from that greatness. And uh, Trump, for all of his... Um, well, I won't get into that, but yeah. anyway, <laughs> you know, that's, that's really the kind of rhetoric he's trying to pull on, uh, yeah. the sense that we've fallen away. So th- this idea that we are called to this greatness, we can fall from it, we need to stay focused as a country. What are some other features about American exceptionalism that, that set up and should set up, really, I guess, our policymaking, our, um, really, our view of how we go about changing the world? Well, there's a lot of people who say it shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, there's a lot of people who say American exceptionalism is a pretty dangerous concept because of uh, the kinds of arrogance that it can produce and so on. Uh, it's no doubt a persistent concept uh, and an inspiring one for many people. And so the question is, if you want to keep a concept of American exceptionalism, how do you embrace such a concept to inspire people without... Uh, basically nurturing either arrogance or ignorance hmm. about the rest of the world. So true. And uh, we hear about, you know, the the treatment of prisoners during wartime, uh, about certain wars that we actually enter into. Again, don't a lot of these policies don't seem to jibe with the with American exceptionalism either. Right. Although oftentimes they're justified in that rhetoric. Right. Mm, so exactly. Uh, You'll say, well, we went in there to spread uh, freedom. It didn't work out, but, but at least our, our ambitions were the right kinds of ambitions. We're on this, we're, we've got this noble purpose, and we're still eventually going to be the saviors of the world. We'll try again somewhere else, right? Interesting. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, the, the problem is that thinking of a nation as the savior of the world can lead to a lot of bad foreign policy. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And um, and again, too, it's also just it seems it's one thing, I guess, to truly believe it in your core. It's another to just use it as rhetoric. Um, but if you use it as rhetoric, then you're not going to use it to inform your policy. Right. So right. then then they don't end up they never are in sync anyway. Right. And, and you know, when it comes to foreign policy, it's really the the what I call the enlightenment branch of it. Uh, and really, I'm getting this from William Kavanaugh, who's a great uh, scholar. Um, but but the Enlightenment branch of it is is the the sense that you don't go to spread Christianity. People that word right. rhetoric wouldn't fly, right? But you go to spread freedom so that people have the free choice to choose the right religion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So there's this weird relationship between the kind of Enlightenment universal truth sense and the Judeo-Christian chosenness sense. Mm. Um, and, and I mean, and the Enlightenment, yeah, the Enlightenment is about agency and choice and freedoms. Versus, I right. mean, and not even, by the way, to spread capitalism. Right. Well, so this is the thing, right? So it 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 changes from era to era, and by the uh, in right after World War II, capitalism becomes part of the triumvirate of values that are American exceptionalism. It, the The Cold War really adds capitalism to all the rest, mm. be the thing that America demonstrates to the world, the great promise of America to the rest of the world. Isn't um, that? I mean, because really. Just even as we hear the Syrians and the refugees and the need for, you know, opening some borders and, and helping these people that are struggling, it seems like a, um, a how do we put this, a savior-oriented, enlightened, um, exceptionalistic paradigm yeah. would, would gl- gladly embrace these people. 
Well, that's the thing is that the, the, the sort of 18th century, early 19th century rhetoric of America was always along the lines of the language of America is an asylum for the oppressed. In fact, this is the same language that Reagan uses in his farewell address, right? That America will always be the land where where others are headed to um, to flee from darkness, basically. Uh, and so it's been kind of remarkable to watch the shutdown against uh, basically those exact people who are fleeing from strife and from civil war and so on, and to say they're not welcome here. Uh, when, in fact, for hundreds of years, Americans have used the rhetoric of America as an asylum. Mm. It's uh, it's just got to be interesting for you, Abram, to to watch this, having studied it so in depth, and and see that the 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 Christian wing of the Republican Party being so adamant about, I mean, politically, I guess, not not as open, right? Not, well, not as I think that it relates. There's one other strand, important strand to American exceptionalism, which is it, it, the, the basis is that it always had in a kind of uh, race consciousness. So in the 19th century, someone like uh, Josiah Strong and other people, what they would say is that it's really Anglo-Americans who have produced or given uh, the world civil and religious liberty. Uh, and they were worried that if you mix those people with too many other people, uh, then our ideals themselves would get mixed and lost. Mm. Uh, and so there is a kind of race-based American exceptionalism that is also continuing into the 20th century. So it's not, it wasn't even country-based, it was race-based. Yeah, I mean, there was, it was country-based in the sense that they said, well, America, here's the place where we did it. Right. But we were able to do it because we were Anglo-Americans. We came out of England and we brought certain ideas with us and so on. Oh, wow. Okay, we'll continue the discussion. This is interesting. More with uh, Abram Van Engen, an associate professor at Department of English um, at Washington University in St. Louis. We're discussing American exceptionalism. It's history. And, uh, in fact, it might be great that we all just open up our minds and see if you believe in that, are we living it today? Interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Dr. Abram Van Engen. He is a, an associate professor in the Department of English at Washington University in St. Louis. Also is the author of the um, article, Clinton's American Exceptionalism Puts a New Twist on an Old Idea. And uh, Dr. Van Engen is uh, teaching us about this concept of American exceptionalism. We've been we've been touting it politically for years, I guess, since um, I guess since the founding of, of America. But I guess, too, it was it was a, a core principle in Great Britain as well. Uh, I wouldn't exactly say that. Um, it, it's just that they believed that um, English ideas had enabled them to develop them into American exceptionalism when they came to America. I mean that that was one of their ideas. So, but they were they but they wanted to claim that Anglo-Americans were at the heart of American exceptionalism. Hmm. Uh, this was part of the rhetoric for many people in the 18th and 19th century. Um, and so there was a kind of race consciousness to it. Um, and I think of course that's 
dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. When, and here's here's something I need your help with, because when I when I listened, um, I don't have time to do it as much as I used to. When I would listen to uh, conservative radio talk show hosts, it seems like they're they're very regularly spewing exceptionalism of America, um, but they do it in a way. That is probably more of um, the spreading of, I guess, Christian values, uh, capitalism, though, also maybe even a little race based at times um, an approach versus an enlightened approach. But I, I come from a religion that uh, the LDS Church, the Mormon Church, that believes in exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, in a way, it feels more like it's more of the enlightened kind. Um, that's about choice. It's about agency. It's about love of all people, freedom to all people. Here's here's the thing, though, that you brought up. The the you got to be careful, right? Because uh, in your you you mention um, a book by Strong, mm-hmm. and a quote you use is, "Our plea is not America for America's sake. Our plea is America for the world's sake." What is good for the nation, he was saying, is good for the world. In fact, Strong's entire book is based on the premise that the Savior, America, must be preserved from several evils, including Mormons, Catholics, and immigrants, in order to save the world. Right. So if you're not careful with exceptionalism, you you will eventually end up right. ostracizing people that are good people. Right. Well, and, and it's not just strong. I mean, this is Melville, for example, on the same point. Mm. He says, let us always remember that with ourselves, almost for the first time in the history of Earth, national selfishness is unbounded philanthropy. Huh. Uh, and so this idea that, that whatever is good for the nation is good for the world just because of our relationship to the world, that blurs the line in foreign policy and whatnot. And it also says, I mean, so what counts for Melville as national selfishness or the good of the nation for Strong? And for, for Strong, at the very least, the good of the nation could only be preserved if you guarded against Catholics, Mormons, immigrants, and all kinds of other people, mm. right? Which is, uh, why we can gu- it's what's why we can guard against Muslims. Right. And it, it goes on today, right? Right. Um, and so this is, this is where American exceptionalism, like I said, it's... It's really a fuzzy concept. A lot of people can invoke American exceptionalism and mean a lot of different things uh, by it and still claim that because of it, we have a noble purpose. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so American exceptionalism can be used to welcome immigrants, Muslims, Mormons, and others, or it can be used to exclude them. And both people will be saying it's in the name of American exceptionalism that we're doing this. See, uh, yeah. So how do you, how do you keep it pure? <laughs> Yeah, right. Or do you, I mean, because it, it is a really powerful motivator. It is um, a powerful motivator, yeah. But, but it also, it's also, it could be a very big stick that you beat everyone up with. Well, and I think the question is how, where do you draw the boundaries of what counts as an American ideology? I think that's that's mm. one of the the key questions, right? So part of the rhetoric of American exceptionalism is to say that we were never a, we were never a specific people. We're not here because of who we were born from. We're here because of what we believe in. Hmm. Right? That's what makes us America. So Richard Hofstetter says, it has been our fate as a nation not to have ideologies, but to be one. Um, and there's this sense of an American creed. But then you could say, here's what's in the creed. If you don't believe those things, you're not an American. Even if you were born here, even if you're a citizen here, you're not really American. Hmm. And so there's a weird way in which in American politics you can accuse another politician of being un-American, which just seems not possible 
I mean, I don't know, really. Right. But it seems right. not possible in other countries. If you're in Germany and you disagree with somebody, do you call them un-German? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't know. But it, it, it's definitely a feature of American political rhetoric. It, it also seems like there are moments where we don't live up to our exceptionalism and we talk about it, too. Right. right. Which, which to me is pretty it's pretty exceptional. Like, right. you know, you are, you are talking about it and, yeah. and yet not, I guess that's the thing. This is all an ideal, right? You're just, it's all an ideal, right? And, and but the, the, the most interesting thing, or one of the most interesting things to me about it is that it's an ideal that always goes back to something at the founding, right? Mm. So part of American rhetoric, uh, the rhetoric of American exceptionalism is to say at the founding, and, and that can change whether right. it's the Puritans or the, the founding fathers or whatever. At the founding, there was like this kind of like moment of revelation where these ideas got expressed. And now our goal is simply to live up to them. Hmm. And so all the change, all the progress, every policy people call, people call for, it's always in the name of living out those principles that happened, that, that, that sort of were revealed at, it, at one given moment. But, but that's rewritten history, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, because it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, so, so there's another scholar who says, we are not concerned here with authentic narratives. We are trying to catch hold of recurring rhetoric as a cultural reality and potent force. Hmm. Right. That's that's what I'm interested in. American exceptionalism, not authentic narratives, but what is the power of the narratives that we do tell, and why do those stories keep getting retold? Interesting. And I guess uh, the benefit of those that that come from a faith system is they can just keep reinterpreting it through their faith system. Yeah. I mean, I come from a faith system as well, and it it, it makes me very nervous. American exceptionalism, precisely because. Uh, the nation becomes divinized, mm-hmm. uh, and you become you start to worship the nation as the savior of the world, uh, and that's where I think things get very tricky. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and the uh, energy, like the energy you see in this election, I mean, some feel that it is this is to the core of our identity and who we are, and it, this country will live or die by this election. Right, right, and I mean that is. Uh, that's that's tricky, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things that has always been part of American exceptions is just the sense that there has to be there has to be some higher purpose to the country. So there was a long period when scholars from the 30s to about the Vietnam War, when people would debate what is the meaning of America. And there's a book in 1960 that came out from Life magazine, getting all the top intellectuals together to talk about the national purpose, right? That there has to be something more than individual wealth and comfort. <laughs> hmm. Or Adlai Stevenson, he said, uh, when he, in this book, The National Purpose, he said, look, it, there has to be something more than the backyard barbecue. Like, if everybody got a backyard <laughs> barbecue, we still failed as a nation. Yeah, right. We have to be after something else. Something bigger. Yeah, something bigger. Wow. It's a, uh, I guess it really just shows you how, um, I, I guess, how fluid this country really is. Yeah. Well, and the idea of what it is that yeah. it you know defines the national purpose it really does change from era to era. And now, uh, you know, really in the '50s, '60s, and '70s, it became prosperity and free enterprise as much as before. It was about religious freedom. Uh, at times, it's about democracy, representative government, uh, and. You know, as I'm saying in that article, Clinton and Obama are trying to make it, redefine it as pluralism and diversity. This is what defines America as great, and this is its message for the world. Is it then, I guess it's all up for interpretation. And 
I mean, it does inform policy, right? It does inform or does it? I think it does inform policy, and it depends on how much a person believes in it, how much it informs uh, policy. You know, George W. Bush believed in it, I think, more firmly, Mm -hmm. or at least more it's hard to know, of course, but more personally than, say, Hillary Clinton. Nonetheless, Hillary Clinton recognizes that whatever she believes about America, whatever she wants to do with foreign policy, she needs to find a way to write it in the rhetoric of American exceptionalism. That's interesting, yeah. That's the, that's the important and really, to me, interesting part of Ameri- American exceptionalism. It doesn't go away. And one reason it doesn't go away is that no matter what policy you want to pass, you have to rewrite it or, or rethink it in the terms of American exceptionalism. I guess that's the way you get it into the hearts and minds of people? I think that's a, one of the most powerful ways to persuade an American audience. Yeah. Do you think that's what a president is doing? You know how they always talk about, well, the history is going to see this president as effective or whatever. I guess it's their ability too to to weave the national, you know, narrative. I think that's right. I mean, I, I really believe that nations are uh, that that policy differences, political differences, come back to national stories that you're writing, uh, yeah. and that uh, whatever the ideological differences are, they get embedded in national stories. Politicians are always in the middle of a story. They say that it begins somewhere. Usually they say it begins with the Puritans, which is an interesting choice in its own right, right? I mean, mm-hmm. They're not the first people here. They're not the first English people right. here. They're not the first English settlement here. They didn't start a country. Let's so, just hang so the story why, there. <laughs> why start the story there, right? But anyway, they give it an origin. They put themselves in the middle, and they give it an end. This is where we're headed. And that shape of a story helps define policy, ideology, and so forth. Hmm. Do, do you ever get a – is there any idea about the indigenous tribes and, and natives that were in America? Did, did they ever feel that? I don't know uh, for them personally. I don't know. I mean, there are certainly – we have uh, plenty of evidence. So there's a very famous um, Native American leader named Handsome Lake who rewrites American exceptionalism as basically uh, – American anti-exceptionalism, right? That people came here for plunder, ah. and for greed, uh, and here's how it went about. And he gives it, he, he basically flips the biblical narrative on its head. Interesting. Uh, in a really kind of amazing way. Um, so I don't know specifically how Native Americans um, rewrite or rethink about American exceptionalism. I will say that in a lot of the people I study from early America, Native Americans are primarily serve as the background to American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. So the rise of liberty for the people I study in early America begins with the arrival of Europeans. Oh, wow. Right? I mean, wouldn't so it the be... Native Americans are just the background to yeah. the real story of America. But the stories that were being told before that also loved their land. They loved their... Well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I mean, and this is why I tell my students... So I ask my students in a class, I say, where is the origin of America? When is the origin of America? Tell me. And I get a whole bunch of answers. And whatever answer you give tells a story of what you think America is. Mm. And if you start America with Native Americans, uh, then what you're saying is America is much broader than any kind of European conception, even broader than a nation, broader than um, the Founding Fathers. It's a diverse nation with lots of different stories in its past. Yeah. Uh, right. Man, this is fascinating. You do this all day, Abram? 
<laughs> well, this is, I'm working on a book right now about this. So, yes, I do it all day. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It's great. And I think it's wonderful insight, too, to just I mean, you do. You see how Obama was able to do it and, and actually just reinterpret exceptionalism. Hillary Clinton's doing it. Everyone's doing it in their way. But that, I guess that's a great point. Listen to what they're saying, because it does tell you what America means to them. Right. It tells right. you their story, how they got there. Right. And, you know, for both, just to give a quick example, for both Obama and Clinton this summer and just recently, they have both brought up the military as the primary example of American exceptionalism, not in the way it formerly was, which is American power Strength, and might, yeah. but rather because it brings together such a diversity of people combined together for a common end. Hmm. Right? Interesting. So all different races are yeah, a, mix, a melting pot. Are together in the military, all fighting together for a common end. They said, that's your primary example of American exceptionalism. Wow. Okay, cool. Cool. Again, you did it. Thanks, Abram. We appreciate you. Keep up the great work there. Uh, Again, Abram Van Engen is Associate Professor, Department of English at Washington University in St. Louis. Careful how how you call it. I mean, I'm a true blue believer in exceptionalism, and I believe it's from God, and yet I think it's a much broader thing than just Christianity. Um, I think it's also, and it's not just capitalism. It's not just free markets. I think it's about choice. I think it's about um, light. I think it's about goodness. I think it's about love. I think it's about freedom, acceptance, caring for one another. By the way, all principles of Christianity, but also principles of other good, you know, believing religions and faiths. Be careful. Sometimes being so exceptional means we make exceptions of others. Got to watch out for that. We'll take a break, come back, wrap up. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Interesting, interesting interview. American exceptionalism. And by the way, uh, Today is the deadline to register to vote in 14 states. Today. Including Florida, which they extended by a day because the governor uh, during the hurricane said, we're not extending you know, the, reg- the, the deadline to register to vote. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're giving people some more time. So I think theirs might either – I think it's tomorrow is their deadline to register. Uh, Montana, Utah, New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky – Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and D.C. Today, you got to register to vote. It doesn't. You can be as exceptional as you want, America, but if you're not voting in America, then maybe we're not that exceptional. How can God help you help others if you don't register to vote? Interesting little note: uh, the whole fallout with Donald Trump. Like 500,000 ballots have already been cast yep. in early voting before the video ever hit. So those are probably going to be not impacted, right? Right. So, hmm. And then people are voting this week and as the early ballots go out. Um, are you aware who your wife is voting for, Matt? Uh, yes. Are you sure? I think so. 
It said this is a YouGov economist poll out Monday revealed a considerable discrepancy between whom married registered voters think their spouse is voting for and whom those married men and women are actually voting for. Forty-five percent of married women say they were voting for Hillary Clinton. Only 33 percent of married men responded that their wives would be casting their ballot for the Democratic nominee. (laughs) Women were a bit more accurate when it came to guessing their spouse's preference, but there was still a gap. 49% of men said they'd be casting their vote for Donald Trump. Only 41% of married women said their spouse was supporting the GOP candidate. That's, yeah. So do you know? Yeah. Should you know? Does it matter? Yeah, I think. I mean, we talk. You should have discussions probably. Right. I mean, she will still cast her vote by herself. I won't. You're not going to be in the booth with I her? I will be videoing kind of it illegally. Like, that one right there. No, no, lower that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, but that could cause a lot of fights, eh? It could. Mm. So they're, they're saying either married couples aren't talking politics this election season or they're in total disbelief their spouse could possibly be voting for that candidate. Holy cow. That is crazy. Crazy talk. Well, okay. You got it, folks. Talk to your talk to your spouse. Just educate, inform, understand, communicate. Just so we don't have fights about this. We will take a break when we come back. Whole new hour. We're going to be talking about uh, a clown hunter. You're not going to want to miss it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Today, what a big day today is. Um, It is Terry's birthday. Terry South, uh, the esteemed producer of the show. We do have a clip of some birthday spankings if we want to wait until he's in here. Yeah, we'll wait till he's in here because he will be getting his birthday spanking soon. Here he comes. The birthday boy in his birthday suit. Why are we doing this? One, two, three, four, five, six. Spanking, spanking. That's the spanking machine. Wow. We're going to line up. Everyone lines up, and they all get to take a shot at Terry. That sounds kind of violent. With a noodle, like you do with your son. A, a, pool, little, a, pool, a noodle? pool noodle? Well, she's taking it out on that kid. Well, that kid's like three, and she's giving him 50 spankings. She doesn't understand the concept. Yeah. Maybe he's Benjamin Button. Yeah. Oh, right. He's reversing. He's reversing oh, wait. his age. We stopped at 40, so there was one for good luck in there. Okay. It, uh, it's also, it's not just Terry's birthday. It's also You Go Girl Day. You Go Girl. You Go Girl. That's what you were saying to Sadie last week as she had to fill in for you. Mm. Doing all the work. <sighs> Doing the work of three, but the paid being only paid for one. Or so. One. Okay. Just one. <laughs> It's also Face Your Fears Day. What's your biggest fear, Jeffrey? Anything that could eat me alive. Wow. Okay. That's a good fear. What's your biggest fear? Falling. Really? Yeah, I don't like to fall. Like, you, you are you afraid of it? Do you fear falling regularly? Well, I mean, I can get on, like, people are afraid of heights. Yeah. I'm not really afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling off heights. Yeah. 
The height doesn't bother right. me. Yeah. It's actually when I'm off of the building. And that's not so much the sudden stop at the end. It's that moment in the middle where you realize there's nothing you can do and you're just hmm. – you're going to get hurt. If you go by my dreams, though, it's forgetting my lines in a play. Really? Mine's nakedness if we're going by dreams. Hmm. Nakedness in a play? Yeah, and forgetting my lines. Just in life generally. By the way, there's psychologically there's a huge – we could get into that in depth. Can we have Sadie tell us what her biggest fear is before she goes to the news? Yeah, Sadie, what is your biggest fear? Wow, really? You could – drowning? Drowning. Wow. By the way, she sounded like she was drowning. Yeah. That audio. Yeah. Um, I hear drowning is a very nice way to go. What? I say – I hear once your lungs are full of liquid <laughs> – does someone? It's a very calming feeling. Does someone have experienced this and came back to share this with you? Personal, firsthand experience yeah, from drowning? Because no. usually there's no one that really has that knowledge. I think I just read that somewhere. Okay. Well, they're never around to talk about it afterwards. Once your so. lungs are full of fluid, it, it just takes you back to the womb. Right. I don't think that's how it works. Okay, maybe not. Well, how did we even get there? Hey, today, by the way, a uh, lot to talk about. We will be getting into the fact that a lot of parents now have to skip retirement to pay for children's college, they feel. So they're not, they're not saving up for retirement, and then that creates a big bubble, and then the next thing you know, your kids are quitting school and you have no retirement. Bada boom, bada bing. We'll talk about uh, the impact that can have on you as a parent, plus uh, wonderful news. If you're out there and you're terrified about clowns, hmm. An awesome new show coming out. Oh, nice. About a guy that hunts clowns. You're going to solve this problem Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist. What do you mean it doesn't exist? It's real. It's people putting out photographs on the internet. That's not reality. It's a national epidemic. (laughs) And kids are, my kids are afraid to go to school. So they keep saying, Dad, we can't go to school because there's a clown. Has anyone actually seen the clown? Well, yeah. More than just a kid going, I saw a clown just to well, cause there's, that, there's one guy that, that emailed his friends saying, uh-huh. I heard that there's there going to go. be clowns attacking. So there's no like reputable source saying, I saw the clown. It's always someone saying they saw something. That's how it, that's how it is, though. You better make sure that your wife doesn't buy a uh, shade of makeup that is a little too pale. Right. Good point. I've seen the clown. Because the next thing you know, she could be, she could be hunted. Hmm. We'll get to all that fun, but first to the national headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the country? Donald Trump has repeatedly dismissed the lewd comments he made in audio tapes released Friday, in which he appears to boast about sexually assaulting women as mere locker room talk. But what professional athletes who spend their days in locker rooms for a living say Trump has no idea what locker room talk is actually about. They attempt to normalize it as any type of talk is wrong. Atlanta Falcons tight end Jacob Tammy tweeted, I refuse to let my son think that this is just how men speak. A judge in Florida extended the voter registration deadline by an additional day, allowing people to register through Wednesday in light of Hurricane Matthew. Initially, Governor Scott did not want to extend the deadline, which prompted a lawsuit by Democrats. Quite simply, it is wholly irrational in this instance for Florida to refuse to extend the voter registration deadline when the state already allows the governor to suspend or move the election date due to an unforeseen emergency, U.S. District Judge Mark Walker said in an order. Chris Christie on Tuesday broke his silence on Donald Trump's latest scandal when he appeared on sports radio program Boomer and Carton. I'm still supporting Donald, 
Christie said, I'm really upset about what I heard, but in the end, this election is about bigger issues. Christie went on to say, let's be really clear. It's completely indefensible. I made that very clear to Donald. Christie also noted that he doesn't believe Trump's video apology was enough. And finally, yes, a North Carolina student unwittingly kicked off a Twitter craze when he successfully got his camera to take a mid-air picture of him high-fiving himself. This wow. this is the new Twitter craze, so pay close attention. It's life-changing. It is. So it's taking a picture of yourself. High-fiving yourself. High-fiving yourself. So his name is Seth Schneider. He posted a blurry but impressive photo as he was high-fiving himself in the air while his phone captured a picture in the mirror as he tossed it up. Huh. Um, he said, quote, today's the proudest day of my life. I successfully took a picture of me high-fiving myself. Wow. And it has blown up across Twitter more than 160,000 retweets and dozens of imitators. Um, But Schneider says, I am not responsible for any broken phones. And I I took the liberty of looking up some of these people who have done this uh, hand-clapping feat. Yeah. And several of them have cracked phone screens now. Well, that was his greatest moment in life? He's going to have a great life then because it can only go up from here. Yeah, Terry just experienced the greatest moment in life, using your phone to film your baby being born. Exactly. Well, after. Not like the... Was it a Samsung? No, my phone's no. fine. Okay. This, I don't have any this, bombs uh, in my phone. <laughs> this challenge is thrown to each of you now. Mm, no, I'll pass. Whoever yeah. wins gets Cronuts. Oh. Now, the kid, um, the kid that flipped a water on. bottle... The kid that flipped a water bottle several months back yeah. and landed it right on the, the, the you know the right side up, that guy, he has a life achievement with that no, one. No, but you know what? No, because that whole bottle flipping thing yeah. is driving me crazy. Why? Because I've got kids flipping everything Can now. you not do it? Is that the problem? No, is that it your means issue? now we sit at dinner and our kids are flipping everything. Do they, walk do, in, do they walk in with like theme music and then yeah. pause? Chapsticks, flipping, Isn't everything. Isn't it training Cups. them for burger flipping though? Good Not point. your kids' career skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point, though. Career skills. Hmm. Thanks, Sadie. Uh, Samsung 7. Yes. Done. Well, the Note 7. Yeah, Samsung Note 7. There is a Samsung is... Galaxy 7, which is a very good phone. Great Does phone. not explode. Great phone. Ooh. Oh. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> oh, that Samsung was just ringing. Was that yours? That went up like, jeez. The Samsung Note 7, which it, it was a great one because you could write on it. It was it had a pencil. Some saw it stylus. better than um, the current iPhone that had more features that actually made sense, not just kind of gimmick uh-huh. things, things that were actually useful, except for the whole exploding battery part. That, you know, that'll ruin everything. Then they bring out the replacement phones, which were deemed safe. They even had a sticker, I think, with an S on the back of the phone. This one's safe. And they, they started blowing up, too. So they've stopped all production. They're production just, is done. They're, they're not, yeah. So what they're, like we talked about yesterday, they will probably have to rebrand. The phone is dead. Get rid of it. Go fix that problem. Relaunch it as uh, the return of the note. I think the Note is dead. Samsung, what they will call it, is the Phoenix. I think they want to stay away from all fire references. <laughs> they might call it like the Aquatics or something. <laughs> something water-based. That's a big deal. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And I'm sure the people at Apple are just smiling. Especially when they put out a phone where they really didn't advance their design at all. They would mm-hmm. like to apologize. Apologize. <laughs> 
as the, we heard yesterday. As Donald Trump <laughs> would like to apologize. Uh, interesting stuff. Um, one of the things that uh, we want to get to, because the, the clowns, you, you, di- you dismissed the Generally, idea of clowns I've dismissed him, clowning please. around. But it is a real thing because police in Massachusetts say they plan to charge a father who wore a scary clown mask and followed his child's school bus. But why was he doing it? Because of this clown craze, he was just making a joke. He's not one of these clowns because the one of these clowns does not exist. Auburn police say middle school age children were so scared they hid under a backyard deck. As Krusty sings this. I love the Krusty. He's the, good. And the clowns. Police say that the man followed the bus Tuesday. They posted a picture on their Facebook page Thursday saying the, in, they intended to seek charges of disorderly conduct and disturbing the peace. Now, he's terrorizing people. He's just having fun. Because there's these other stories that are out there of people just messing around. But my kids are convinced these, that, there's some, that these clowns are, are going out to kidnap people. Hmm. It's like the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang kidnapper guy. It's not, though. It's like him. It's just this And he looked like a mean clown. This is your ice bucket challenge challenge type of uh, virality of a story. Um, In the end, it doesn't matter. Police wrote on Facebook, (laughs) we are hopeful that others will learn from this incident and not repeat these types of behaviors. Quit clowning around. Now. (laughs) That was a delayed courtesy laugh. Well, that was the seven second delay between us and our people. There you go. So one of the things that we we do here at BYU Broadcasting is we create programming. Yes. That we, we have been charged with creating programming. And with this whole new clown, you know, movement, mm. um, BYU, what they do is they like to go out and they find a really good show that's already on TV and then they customize it based on the new – the needs of the people today. And so it's a good way to put it. We found a new show that's going to be released mm. at uh, BYU Broadcasting, and here's the intro to it. Hi, I'm Bob, and I used to be a clown for birthday parties, corporate events, and political conventions. But now I track down dangerous clowns and apprehend them for a living. Here's a sneak peek at my new show, Bob the Clowny Hunter. I'm the Bob, the Big Bad Bob. <laughs> Okay, rule number one in clown hunting, you got to make sure you don't come off as a threat. That way you can get close to them without them suspecting a thing. That's why I dress like one of their own when I'm working. I've got my flower water squirter thing, I've got my big red nose, as well as my squeaky shoes. Let's go catch us a clown. Okay, our first clown is a real scumbag. He's been freaking out tourists, getting in their faces... And making rude hand gestures. Oh, oh, there he is. That's weird. My clown outfit is different than any I've ever seen. Oh, whatever, these guys are getting sicker and more twisted every day. Let's go get him. Excuse me, are you Pierre? You are? Well then. You're under arrest. Hey, 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 what are you doing? Hey, why are you pretending to run away in a windstorm? What are you doing with your hands, Pierre? You don't settle down, I'm going to have to pepper spray you in the face. Pierre, put down that imaginary gun. That's it. You're coming with me, you slime. Uh, Okay, so it uh, turns out that Pierre was actually a mime. 
So uh, that was my bad. Uh, but my lawyers have just informed me that mimes are a kind of a clown, so uh, clown cops. Be sure to check out my new show, Bob the Clowny Hunter. I'm the Bob, the big bad Bob, the clowny hunter. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. That's coming in this fall? Yeah. Or, ne- or probably in the spring. Yeah. In the fall now. It's too bad that um, – it's too bad the first the first shot was with a mime. Mm. I mean you could mistake a mime oh, for sure. a clown. But seriously, who's going to blame him for taking one mime well, yeah, out mean, of circulation? Well, and honestly, that's the time as a mime you got to talk. <laughs> you got to say something. The mimes are the quiet killers anyway. The yeah. silent killers. Yeah. Mm. That is a good show. Sounds action-packed. <laughs> totally. Totally action-packed. Good theme song, too. I like that. Yep. <laughs> That's right there, BYU Broadcasting at its best. Bob uh, the Clown Tea Hunter. I think that is a equitable use of the budget for creating new programming here at BYU Totally. TV. No, totally. And that's got to be fairly easy to produce. Oh, yeah. They could afford it. It's just the one guy doing everything. Right. I think he's filming. Is he doing Producing, it editing. He has GoPros on his shoulders. Mm. So, I mean, he's, a, he's his own camera crew. Plus, just think of how great that is for society. That's just one more clown off the street. Well, it was a mime, but yes. Yeah, well, mime. But n- normally, it'll just be a clown. Right. So, every week, that's a clown. Yeah. So, let's just sh- say they shoot 22 shows. Mm. That's 22 clowns a year. But sometimes you might get a clown troop. Maybe you maybe you'll pull over a Volkswagen with like thirty of them. In right, it. one stop, thirty. You're thirty clowns. Public out service, of right there. Yeah. That's what we do here. BYU Broadcasting. We serve you. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about uh, parents and skipping retirement to pay for your kids' college. Is that is that a good idea? It seems like it might impact multi generations. Stick with us. We'll be talking to a true blue expert on the subject. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, make it through retirement. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the total outstanding student loan debt in the United States is $1.2 trillion, which is the second highest level of consumer debt behind only mortgages. Most of that is loans held by the federal government. About 40 million Americans hold student loans, and about 70% of bachelor's degree recipients graduate with debt. With these numbers only seeming to increase and tuition rates uh, continuing to rise, it seems that there are very few ways left for a college student to pay for their degree. Marty Allenbaugh, a financial senior marketer and certified financial planner for T. Rowe Price Group, uh, joins us today to talk about why parents have to put their retirement off to help uh, their children pay for college. Marty, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Matt. It's great being on online with you. You bet. And this, I mean... Ah, parents have to stop their retirement programs and, and the paying for retirement in order to pay for their college for their children. Is that is that a good exchange? We, we, we feel that that's not a good good exchange, yeah. Dr. Matt. Um, you know, and so we have our 
we do our annual parents, kids, and money survey with uh, which, with parents uh, who have children between ages of eight to fourteen and their kids. And we did find some uh, alarming results with that survey concerning parents stopping contributing to their retirement plans. Talk about what you learned. What like what percentage of parents are are actually stopping retirement planning and and payment for their retirement in order to take care of the kids. Yeah, unfortunately, we found that 69% of the parents in our survey, we've been doing this survey for eight years, responded, because my kids will go to college before I retire, I feel I should put money towards that first and save for retirement later. Huh. That was a, an alarming number. And then we asked them, which of the following do you have? 57%, which is great, said they have money saved for their kids' college education but only 54% said they had money saved for retirement. Mm. So 46, 46% of the parents in our study don't have a nickel saved for retirement, which is a, a very alarming number. If you remember this study, it's where, these are not young parents. They have their, their oldest is eight or older. Yeah. So the, the, they're uh, a little farther along the, the age range. Is it, I mean, maybe is it, are we as people now just assuming that retirement isn't going to happen? I think, I think what may be occurring is, uh, and I've, I've experienced this myself. I have a daughter just starting college this year. I have a son just starting high school. You, you see the children growing in front of you, and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I need, I need to start saving for this, and, and I, I need to, uh, to make that my top priority. And, uh, and, and I think some of it's uh, some stress levels we're seeing as well with the parents. And, and we have, uh, you know, we want to have good news for your listeners, that, that there there are some options that they have where they don't have to stop contributing to their retirement plan. I like to cover some of them, yeah. some of those with you. In fact, let's let's um, let's do that. Is it? I guess in the end, because if if we're putting a money away for retirement, um, then we really don't pay taxes on that money until we take that money out of the retirement. Can we use the money we're using for retirement and loan it to our kids for school? That is a strategy. We actually wouldn't recommend that. If there's, there's better options. Uh, what we would say is uh, to our investors, if they're planning on delaying retirement, we're okay with that. Uh, we're not It's not ideal. That. Yeah. Ideal, but we're okay. Stopping c- contributions to retirement plan is not okay. Mm. And here's the reasons why. There, there are myriad of ways to fund college. There's loans, scholarships, grants summer jobs, enlisting in the military, some awesome volunteer programs, Dr. Matt, out there with AmeriCorps and Peace Corps that help pay down your loans, family gifts. And as you know, there's a variety of colleges that come with a variety of price tags. Mm -hmm. With retirement, it's really just your personal savings and Social Security. There's less options available for funding your retirement. So that's uh, the strategy that we kind of encourage our clients because because there are so many options for school school loans and even i mean grants um you're saying put the onus for paying for school on all of those other sources and instead keep your retirement funded we're hoping you can do both and at least put uh, some money away uh for for your for your children's college expenses but not sacrificing everything uh, so in your retirement to fully fund it. Mm. 
I mean, what's... For example, we had like 50% of the parents in our study said, if I pay for my kid's college, I expect them to help me in retirement. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, for, for our family, we want our daughter to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be a burden on her when she graduates from college to help finance our retirement. Uh, so we, we think parents should have that same goal. It's um, it's one of those things, like you were saying, that you, you sometimes don't think about until you have a kid going to school. Then all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, boy, why didn't I plan ahead? But also one of the things that came out of your survey, you mentioned uh, that 42 percent of parents say they're losing sleep over how to help their kids pay for college compared to 28 percent in 2014. So this isn't even just a financial issue anymore. This could just be good health issue. It could, and I think, Dr. Matt, I think you'll, you'll appreciate this. I know you're big in, into communication uh, between parents and kids. We think that's a symptom of a lack of communication that's going on between parents and kids as well. We found in our study 62% of kids expect their parents to cover the cost of mm. whatever college you want to go to, while only 35% are willing to cover, of parents are willing to cover most or all of expenses. Yeah, so we got to uh, talk. Yeah, so I think they have to talk, and and there's some reluctance we're seeing from parents uh, being able to have 71% of parents were reluctant to discuss financial matters with their kids, Uh, and 29% were very or extremely reluctant. We think it's really important for parents, and I know you have a lot of listeners here on the the show, start having financial conversations with their children starting as young as age five. Mm Mm-hmm. Having those conversations, of, uh, and we we have a website called moneyconfidentkids.com that have a, a lot of good information to help parents to have those conversations, uh, starting when they're young, uh, that helps your kids feel more confident, but also you can have discussions about college as well. There's a, I think parents are losing sleep because they're not communicating with their children. There's a big disconnect between what the kids expect and what the parents can do. Oh, yeah. And I mean, what a great title too! money confident kids. How many kids go away to college? And that's the first time they start having, you know, credit credit uh, card companies coming after them, trying to lure them to get a credit card started. And a lot of the kids don't have any clue what they're doing at that stage. So if we could get our kids confident and with a plan, I mean, there's amazing self-esteem that uh, that could be you could be benefiting from and growth in self-esteem by by having this covered and and figuring out how you're going to pay for it yourself. And I think that also then would help relieve some of that parent anxiety we're seeing as well. Yeah, which is also really important. At T. Rowe Price, we're big on investing with confidence and we want our our parents to be confident as well. Now, we do, we do encourage them to, to save some, you know, to set up an automatic savings plan if they can for their children's college expenses. They can start, we have, have an example here if we have time, Dr. Yeah, Matt. please, yeah. Yeah, um, start as little as $70 per month, let's say. For example, I know uh, one of your coworkers, Terry, yeah. he just had a baby daughter. Little morning. baby, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, if he started uh, right now contributing just $70 a month into an account for her, uh, assuming a 6% rate of return, who have $25,000 accumulated by the time she reaches college at 2034, which she's 18. Holy cow. So 25000 is not bad. Not it's bad at start. all. Uh, you know, uh, at least in today's dollars at, at BYU, that would cover almost two full years of tuition right. and room and board. Well, and, and if you had a job, you could, you could stretch it to three, you know, or four. If you got some scholarships, I mean, that's nothing. 70 bucks a month. 
uh, for 20, how many years were you factoring? 18 years. 18 years at yep. 6%. Uh, now, at the flip side, though, if you say, nah, I'm not going to start with that, I, and this is just a good start, I, I'm going to instead borrow that 25000 uh when Morgan starts uh, college, mm-hmm. and you assume an 8% loan rate, you're going to end up paying 320 bucks a month for 10 years, and your total payback, including interest, will be $38,000. Wow. So in the, in the first example, uh, we had uh, you know, uh, Terry... He's only contributing fifteen thousand. He's getting another ten thousand in interest. Yeah. Or if he borrows, he's he's going to have to pay thirty eight thousand dollars in principal and interest. So there's a there's a trade off there. Well, that's a great example, though. And, and Terry can start increasing that amount over yeah. the years. You know, uh, this starting at seventy is a nice start. You know, maybe it goes to a hundred a, a month a, a year or two from now, and as his income increases, and then boy, with our family, we get all these family gifts coming in for. Uh, for graduation, mm-hmm. for different religious events, taking some of that cash infusion and putting it into a, a college savings plan can really help. Well, and we add a little complexity to this whole matter, too, because in our church, we a lot of our kids go on LDS missions where they leave and they go, you know, they go away for two years, but that could be four or $500 a month to pay for that. So, all of a sudden, they're paying for a college education and, on top of that, an LDS mission. So they need money. And it also takes them out of the workplace for two years. So this idea, I guess, of planning is its core. And I, like what, I guess what you're saying is it doesn't – you don't have to necessarily do either or if you start early enough. If you start early enough, and we would encourage investors – to not stop contributing to their retirement plan. So if, they, if they're with an employer that offers an, an employer match, at least contribute enough to that 401k plan to get that match. And then look, at, look to start an automatic uh, contribution amount for your, for your college savings. Is, so if I put money into – I know if I put money into my 401k, that's tax-free, I guess, until I'm able – until I need to pull it out. Is that true in education funds? There are some tax benefits with these uh, education plans. The one I'm going to refer to is a, it's a 529 college savings plan. Uh, so, for example, uh, in the state of Utah, you have your Utah educational savings plan. I'm not familiar with that plan, but there's one available yeah. uh, for you. There's also a na- national plan as well. We offer one. The benefits of those 529 savings plans are there, there are a lot. They're d- designed specifically, for Dr. Matt, for college uh, education. So you have federal tax benefits, so they, they grow tax deferred. And hmm. if, if you take a distribution for qualified educational expenses, they're tax-free. Oh, wow. And, and the qual- qualified educational expenses are pretty liberal in how, in how they define that. Uh, you also have state tax benefits. So that Utah plan does offer some income tax benefits. Uh, I believe in Utah, you have a 5% income tax. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, you do some, get some protection from that as well. well wow. Uh, we also loved, for, for our family, the, gradu- the graduation-based uh, portfolios. So for our daughter, she, she started college in 2016. We selected the 2016 fund. Hmm. Most 529 plans offer that. So these portfolios get more and more conservative as you approach that date. Uh, you mentioned uh, for some for some of your callers, your your daughter may may have a year or two delay before she starts college. Mm-hmm. Maybe pick the 2018 fund then, because that's, right. uh, that's when she starts college, not 2016. Uh, but those make it really easy to save. 
Right. Uh, so you have a lot of tax benefits and a lot of flexibility with these 529 plans. I guess that's the key, is we just need to uh, to get our heads wrapped around it, know what's going on. We'll take a break. We're speaking with Marty Allenbaugh. He is a financial senior marketer and certified financial planner for T. Rowe Price Group. T. Rowe Price Group is a financial planning and investment aiding organization dedicated to helping its customers become more financially independent. We will take a break and uh, come back, continue the discussion. By the way, you can remember, go look up moneyconfidentkids.com, a wonderful uh, resource to help you uh, make sure your kids understand their financial issues as well. We'll continue the discussion, uh, your retirement and your college education for your children. They don't have to be mutually exclusive. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, today parents are not uh, putting enough attention towards retirement, and then they get surprised by the, uh, I guess, the, the the need of their children to get a college education. It kind of sneaks up on you. Ironically, you know, the kids have been with you the whole time. <laughs> then bada boom, bada bing, something changes, and you got to figure out how to pay for college education and how to still keep paying for your retirement Joining us on the phone is uh, Marty Allenbaugh, and Marty is a financial senior marketer and a certified financial planner for T. Rowe Price Group. He's talking to us today um, about how to balance this. One of the great resources he just uh, pointed out is a website called moneyconfidentkids.com, which is um, put out there by T. Rowe Price, and it's uh, it's a way to help your kids you know, become confident in, in the process of Saving, spending, also, though, getting ready for school. And one thing, Marty, you've already told us to do is make sure that we are having a, an open dialogue and communication with our kids about money and about their their future education. That's right, Dr. Matt. We also, beyond having those conversations, the conversations is the first part, we also would encourage parents, it's on this website as well, to have money experiences with their kids. Mm. Uh, uh, so, for example, with our children, we have an allowance that, that we would have. Some, sometimes it's based on chores. Sometimes it's a weekly allowance. And that's their money to spend. So they not only are you having conversations, you're giving them experience working with money as young as age five. And then the third level, the challenge for us as a parent to do this, but allow your children to make some mistakes with money. Mm-hmm. So to maybe purchase something that... Maybe you don't think they need, and then you remind them when they have something else you want to buy. Well, you bought that item two months ago. It's going to take you six months to earn enough money to to purchase this item. Right. Uh, So you allow them to make mistakes, and there's data on that site to show the conversations, the experiences, and even allow your kids to make mistakes can really increase their confidence in how they handle money down the road. By the way, we tied money to um, their cell phones because, you know, with an update on a cell phone, it made it – it changed a little – it's flipped a switch on our iPhones that made it so that they used more Wi-Fi. And we told our kids, make sure you turn that off, make sure you turn it off. Well, a few of them didn't, and then they had to go to their bank and – write a check to our our phone company to pay for the difference of all of their Wi-Fi use. And so 
I mean, money talks, right? Even to kids, it it's it's still it communicates, and it's it's a powerful tool. Do you think, as parents, we sometimes we either don't teach the lessons, or maybe we we intervene too much so the kids aren't learning the lessons we are? I think sometimes it's intervening. I know my wife and I had those conversations about allowing your children to buy something you think they may not may not need. Mm-hmm. I think there's also we have uh, in our survey we have a lot of parents here who are having some financial challenges and they're reluctant to share those challenges that they're having with their kids. Yeah, um, I know it's tough when they're little, but when they're older, I think you need to have those conversations, which then brings your kids' expectations into reality about how we're going to handle uh, funding this college yeah. expenses. What What about some parents that just say, no, not doing it. Uh, if kids want to go to college, they've got to pay for it. I had to pay for mine. What What do you think about that? It, it That could be a, a, a risky uh, proposition, Dr. Matt, because yeah. it, it all comes down to, you know, the, the financial aid now is is a federal program. You have the FAFSA, which is a free application for federal student aid. So there's a standardized form you you apply for to to qualify for for financial aid. And the biggest driver for how much aid you'll receive is the actual income the parents have the year before your daughter starts college. Mm. So if your income is is high, you, you may you may not uh, qualify for financial aid. Uh, I'll give you an example. I just ran some numbers. It the, the the financial aid number is based off your adjusted gross income. Adjusted gross income is after like deductions and personal exemptions, and then it's the range of financial aid uh, is anywhere between twenty two to forty four percent of the parents' AGI is used. To, to calculate this expected family contribution, so if you if we just look at uh, the numbers here for uh, for BYU, uh, if your adjusted gross income is north of sixty thousand dollars, your expected family contribution, even for the conservative number, will be thirteen thousand two hundred per year. That's almost the full cost of going mm. to BYU. So it doesn't take a lot of income for you to not qualify for any financial aid, which means then your son or daughter may not have loan options available because your income's so high. So you, right. you need to be putting some money away. Your income may may prevent you from, from getting that aid. Plus these, again, this is a, it's a tangled web, right? And you got to be careful just because money's available doesn't mean it should be taken and they may not fully understand what they're doing with it. So it might be better, like you're saying, coach them, educate them, partner with them, co-sign with them, do what you've got to do with them, um, and, and raise them up in knowing how to handle all of this. That's right. I, I agree. Because it's, I mean, it, I know people that have gotten thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 in debt, and they don't have an income that will ever, ever deliver that. Yeah, it, it yeah, the, the amount of debt, it's a tricky one. It, it kind of, we we uh we get questions about what's a reasonable amount of debt we say it depends on the on the degree and the income potential that's generated from that degree mm-hmm. so if you have $75,000 loan for an MD or a DDS degree uh you could be able to that could be a worthwhile investment that same debt level let's say for a bachelor's of art in social work you, you may not have the income potential coming in to cover $75,000 worth of worth of loans. That's where you need to maybe get into some of these grants or some of the 
I mean, if you're going to go work for a nonprofit, the, a lot of times you can find other ways that they they will forgive certain loans, certain debts, certain things like that. So, I mean, I guess part of this is be informed. And if you've got more than one kid, I mean, the, the, any knowledge that you have as a parent can easily help all of the kids. So, yeah. So if you have a family with with a lot of children, of course, that helps drive down your adjusted gross income. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that there's a benefit there. And then if you have multiple kids going to college at the same time, that'll really drop your expected family contributions. So yeah. then you factor that in. So if you have three, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have three kids going to college at the same time, that'll really drop your expected family contribution down so you could qualify, qualify for more uh, fina- financial aid. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, depending on the school, financial aid may be loans. Yeah, right. Uh, with BYU, they they have a very large endowment. It could be a more grants, but you first of all, you have to qualify for it. Mm. Uh, is key. Talk to us, uh, Marty, as we wrap up this segment. What what I always ask for the one thing. What would you say is the one thing that makes the biggest difference when it comes to preparing your kids to to really to get into the whole student loans and and the and to be able to pay for their schooling, um, and and really money management. What's the one thing we should be doing with our children? I, I can't overstate the importance, Doctor Matt, of having those regular money conversations with your kids. Uh, you know, weekly is recommended. You know, we're big believers at T. Rowe Price in the power of compounding. So, a simple investment of a small amount of time and money, if it's uh, if it comes to allowance, can go a long way. Uh, and then to visit that moneyconfidentkids.com website mm. for, for more information. For example, there's a, there's a great uh, game on that site, too, called Star Banks Adventure. Mm. Uh, it's a mobile app game for kids to play. It's free. We've had almost 400,000 people uh, visit the site and play that game. Uh, and it's a way for kids to learn while playing the game about different financial concepts. But Love we're it. big on we're big on the conversations, and it helps all the other issues we talked about here. Love it, love it. Stress and everything else. We appreciate it, Marty. Really, truly, that is um, great advice. The website, again, Money Confident Kids. Uh, Marty Allen Vaz his name. And if you go to Money Confident Kids, you can play the games. You can learn how to have these money meetings with your family and your kids. Start communicating about money. It's not going away. In fact, it seems like it's only going to get more stressful if they aren't informed. So stick with us. Tons to learn. When we come back, we will be talking with Caitlin Thomas about why we love football. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. America has proudly named its new favorite pastime to be good, the good old game of football. Baseball is, uh, you know, what we were. Football is what we have become. Who loves a good baseball game? That's uh, Mary McGrory wrote that uh, longtime um, Washington Post columnist. It seems that America has become so fascinated with football. So here to talk to us about why that's happening, Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, good morning. Hi. Here's the deal, though: ratings in football are dropping. Well, just a bit, ten percent. I think it's down. Well, maybe, but. You're forgetting that we've got ESPN apps, and we've got... I mean, you don't necessarily have to tune in on the TV anymore. Well, plus now we have the presidential elections, plus we have baseball tournament going on, and uh, we also have Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) True. And all those other shows. But actually, this year, 
it was Sunday had 16.6 million viewers,、mm. and this was the strongest performance for any sporting event opposite a presidential debate since Game Six of the '96 Cardinals Braves game. Wow! So more people tuned in to football, like the ratio after、Kay. the debate. Why?、Anyway. Why are we so into football? I, you know what, Matt? It's like they said, baseball used to be our thing, but now it's football. I read an article that said football is America's war game. It represents the values that we as Americans hold most dear. You know that、um, I invented a new game. Did you called Gator Ball? Gator Ball, which is baseball with alligators in it.、Mm-hmm. And it's. I think it's. I, I actually mean, would argue that is the new war. I'm going to stick with football. Have you seen I mean, Gator Ball? No, but I mean football's practically. I mean I've heard people. I was reading articles that said it's practically America's main religion. Nowadays. It is sadly. Uh, what?、Yeah. Give me, give me insight. Why? What's going on? What is it about football? I think it's because we like to see people get beat up. Well, and it's it's, but it's this it's the fact that we can connect with these teams, and then we build these rivalries,、mm-hmm. and we have this kind of healthy competition. And I mean, each of the league's thirty-two teams received two hundred twenty-six point four million dollars in national revenue. Um, last year, wow! That's just from us buying tickets and jerseys and footballs, and you know, buying all of their products. I mean, sixty-four percent of Americans watch NFL football. Seventy-three percent of that of men, fifty-five percent of women, which is much higher than I thought. That is amazing. Fifty-five percent of women of women in America watch NFL football. Do you watch NFL football? You know, I don't. I watch college football. I'm more of a、There、college football fan. I actually ran a Facebook survey.、Mm-hmm. Well, just among my friends, among your peeps,、uh, among my peeps, and、uh, this is kind of what happened. So I asked them if they watch NFL versus college, and then how much time, how many hours about a week they spend watching、yeah. it. And seventy three percent of my friends that responded watch college, and twenty seven percent only watch the NFL. Really, it's because that your friends are all in college. Well, no, I mean this was adults too. This was families, but I just a lot of them said it was the、uh, the spirit, the, the rivalry, full,、yeah. right? That they're they're trying to pay for college,、mm-hmm. and they still really love it. They have the passion. They're not quite. They're not paid. Yeah, as much money.、Um, the、It's、longest amount、watch. of time it is the longest amount of time that my friends spend watching was nine hours a week. Really? The least amount of time was three hours a week. The total number of hours was a hundred hours a week of football. Average meaning about seven hours per week. So on average, people are spending about seven hours per week. That's with watching games,、yeah. getting highlights, you know, looking up stats, all of that. That is a lot of time. That's why you said it's it's like the new religion. It is people like if people spent seven、mm-hmm. hours a week studying their faith or their religion or just <laughs> meditating or serving others, doing something. I mean. I estimated how much time my family. So there's six people in my family.、Now、your dad played college. My、ball. dad played here at BYU. My little brother's currently playing high school.、Hmm. All of my cousins play. So we go watch my brother play football. We go and watch my cousins,、mm-hmm. and then we have, you know, the the college football games, and then the NFL football games, and then looking up stats and all the highlights. My family total with all six of us spends thirty hours a week. What on football? <sighs> But I love it. I love football. Plus the money we spend, the games. I、yeah. mean the T-shirts. Just your family probably just having your your brother play high school football spends probably a thousand a year minimum. Minimum. Well, just to get him on the team, just to, you pay the fees for him to have the uniform because the gear is. I mean, you can go to the sporting goods store and you can get like a helmet strap. I'm not even quite sure,、oh, yeah. like a chin strap. Yeah, it's like seventy five dollars. Yeah, that's why I never let my kid wear a chin strap. But people pay for this stuff. It's crazy. We love football. 
Okay. What's your team, Matt? Uh, well, I like the Cougars. Go Cougars. Go Cougars. I I used to really love the 49ers. Used to. Not anymore. What happened? They got rid of um, Smith, Alex Smith, mm. when he was doing really well. Yeah. And they put Kaepernick in, and then Kaepernick kind of blew out. Well, and you know, they so f- now I like the Some Kansas of the articles I was reading said actually a lot of people have – like. People have stopped watching the NFL because of all of these. I know. Uh, the players trying to get involved in politics, and people actually don't like it. They don't like it. They don't want it. They want to see. They just want to see. We just football. want football. Healthy competition. Good job. Caitlin. Cheer for your team. Thank you. Go well Cougs. done. You killed it. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number three of the program. Top of the morning to you. Actually, bottom of the morning for many of you. It is a a great day. Today, by the way, is uh, um, October 11th also known as Terry South's birthday, the day we celebrate the birth of one of the greats. Ooh, Marilyn Monroe. That would be kind of embarrassing, having Marilyn Monroe sing this song to you. Really? Was his wife right there? Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, I forgot about the wife. Yeah. They always do. Welcome uh, to the program, folks. Terry South, happy birthday to you. Hey, thanks. My personal privacy has been violated. Mm-hmm. I'm lodging a protest with HR. You're going to okay. protest Marilyn Monroe singing happy birthday to you? No, like, there were emails sent that outed oh, that I this see. was my birthday. Because on a normal situation, I don't have it on my Facebook. So yeah. on, on today, if you follow me, one of the 20-some-odd people that follow me on Facebook. Your mom, your dad. They don't follow me. I don't follow my mom. It's great. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. Rude. It doesn't pop up on your page. You up in the corner yeah. where it goes. It's Terry's birthday. None of that happens. I will never forget this then, day. Then you get a cascade of people saying happy birthday, and mm-hmm. they're people you don't talk to. People that you know. Oh, like, Who's that? And you have to go. Oh, okay. Oh, like, my parole. It, it's officer. very insincere for me to to have that happen. So I've never put that in. But you know, it's sincere from us. Sure. Do you want to show fodder while we're violating your privacy, personal privacy? Um, Don't don't forget the personal. Let's talk about some other things. We've got your health records. I've been looking over those lately as well. They came from HR. The rash is clearing up, so Mm -hmm. we should be okay. That's good. Yeah. So happy for you. Blood type. Uh, What's your blood type? Oh. Oh. Actually, I have no idea what my blood type is. I'm I'm AB negative. I hear. Is it on your driver's license? I don't know. I'm A positive. A positive. You've got the most positive blood type. So positive. Uh, it is not. Oh, I don't. Yeah, you got to know what your blood type is. Are you a donor? Is that is that too personal? No, not a donor. I'm a donor, but I only want to donate certain parts. Really? You mm-hmm. want some say after mm-hmm. the fact? Yeah. I want to donate those things that I feel are strengths. Do they have room on your license for that to be written? <laughs> yeah, it's really long. Spleen and spleen-related <laughs> organs only. I've got the strongest spleen you in the West. Have, you can have my left kidney, but not my right. The right one's for the boy. <laughs> Today, by the way, is also You Go Girl. You Go Girl. Day. Mm. You Go Girl Day. 
It's hard to say. It's also Face Your Fears Day. Mm -hmm. We were very afraid to face your birthday. That made us very nervous. Really? Because we knew you wouldn't. I almost kind of forgot it was my birthday. Well, wait till you get home. You get yeah. a change of My diaper. son last night's like, what kind of cake are you going to have for your birthday? And I went, uh, no cake. And he goes, what? I bet you'll have a cake. You're supposed to have cake for your birthday. Mom, I'll, what kind of cake is he having? And she goes, I don't know. She's making you a cake right now. Yeah, maybe. She is. Cause she I'm not really you. big on cake. But you're right. I will have a diaper to change. So yep, happy birthday to me. Little package for you. <laughs> Surprise. Little, little bundle. We've got a lot to talk about today. Um, we will be speaking with Dr. Ron Hager, who is the... Um, the health evangelist mm. here at uh, Brigham Young University. He's away, though, um, at the remote. Senior Olympics. It's called the uh, Utah Senior Games, Utah I think. Utah Senior Games. And he's down there, and they do health uh, screenings for the athletes. And they save lives. They, they caught someone. It was a year ago, I think, he was talking about this, where someone was going into a heart attack as they were doing the screening, and they're like, you need to see somebody. Boom. They were able to help this person as they That's were showing some early signs. He will be talking to us today about uh, old age is not for sissies. Mm, he always has true. some wonderful stories down there of people that are like running a marathon at age 90 or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Cool stuff. We'll talk to Ron Hager in a bit. Plus, uh, when we come back, we'll also be having um, – we've got to talk about uh, a dad accused of ramming a car into just this – is, this is anger management issues into it, a senior citizen. It was a, it was a confrontation at elementary school pickup. Yeah. And all the parents out there know how contentious school pickup can be. The school pickup line has so many rules in it when you're trying to pick up your kids, don't get out of the car, all that kind of stuff. Little heated in this Little situation. Little heated. Now the guy's in jail with a $30,000 bond. Bond. We'll talk about that. Plus other headlines that are fun. We'll be visiting with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation. We're going to find out what will be on their show at the top of the hour. Plus the hero of the day. All of that ahead. But first, to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? Ted Cruz said Monday that he still supports Republican nominee Donald Trump for president. After reportedly reevaluating that choice when a lewd video of Trump surfaced over the weekend, Cruz says he still believes the GOP candidate will make a better leader than Hillary Clinton. During an appearance in Texas, the senator told a TV station that Clinton would be an absolute disaster. The death toll for, uh, from Hurricane Matthew has reached 20 after 10 people in North Carolina were killed by the effects of the monster storm. Governor Pat McCrory said Monday that five individuals are still missing and 1,500 remain stranded by floodwaters in the city of Lumberton. The Federal Aviation Administration has issued flight restrictions across the region to allow rescue helicopters to survey the area, he added. More than 500,000 people will remain without power, and residents in Florida are beginning to clean up from the storm, and evacuees are readying <coughs> to return to their homes. Disgraced Today host Billy Bush bragged to NBC staffers about the lewd Donald Trump tape that got him suspended. Page Six cited multiple sources as sane. According to the report, Bush told staffers that he, quote, had a tape of Trump being a real dog while covering the Rio Olympics in August. It is precisely his boasting that prompted Access Hollywood staffers to track down the tape, the report said. The Bush Uh, Bush had already been suspended from today in the wake of the scandal, but he also faces scrutiny by NBC for workplace sexual harassment over the comments he made in the tape. And finally, yes, police believe they have nabbed the so-called paddling pool slasher. Who? The paddling pool slasher. Let me explain. Please do. (laughs) Who terrorized a German community by damaging inflatable items with knives for nearly seven years. (laughs) 
A 27-year-old suspect was questioned following an extensive police investigation involving numerous eyewitness accounts, authorities said. Officials said the suspect admitted to damaging between 20 and 30 plastic pools in the area of Bavaria. Local media dubbed him the paddling pool slasher. Um, He also said he did not plan the attacks, and when asked why he did it, he said, just for fun. He he would slash anything that was inflatable, like a blow-up. Blow up toys, blow up anything, especially blow up pools for the last seven years. If it was December Christmas yard ornaments. I'm glad they got that guy. That could be therapeutic, though. It's Mm -hmm. just like the the bubble paper, anything that can be popped. It's very calming. Well, it's calming, except unless you're in the pool. What about like kids, though? They're just it's these little kids have these. pools. And then the guy slashed our pool. They'll learn that life isn't always fair. That's a great life lesson for kids to no, learn. No. No? It's not. It's better that you leave the pool alone. Instead, you send a clown. Well, That's a life lesson. You scare the kids. Okay. Send in the clowns. Well done, Sadie. Man, I'm glad they got the pool slasher. That's crazy. We're all safer because of that. At least the pools are. Right. All those inflatable toys and tool. Oh, Actually, I think they belonged to clowns, so it's all right. Yeah. What is the deal? We, I, this is the deal. Jeff and I have figured out there's a correlation between Pokemon Go and clowns. Right, Jeff? Yes. And we found, I think all the clowns that are out there clowning around are really mothers dressed up like clowns who are trying to get their kids to quit playing Pokemon Go. just saying that i have an insider information a scoop and i'm going to send a reporter out to figure out if that's true but you think it is true i know it's true because the minute the clowns came out pokemon go started dropping i think it was mothers who were sick and tired of their kids, you know, walking around in dark parks. We Mothers against that. technology, right? Yeah. I'm serious. I, we're, mm. we're sending a reporter out. Which spells Matt, by the way. Yeah. Mothers against. Coincidence? Yeah, you could do M.M. Mad Mothers against technology. I think not. M.M.A.T.? M.M.A.T. Mm-hmm. Or you could do Mothers against tedious technology. There you go, Matt. That's a good point. Yeah. And then it's it's just all you. pretty tedious, isn't it? And it's all self-serving, which and is kind of how the show goes. <laughs> it's all self-serving. <laughs> it's all self-serving. Speaking of self-serving, a retired Marine is now charged with aggravated battery against a senior citizen after deputies say he ran his car into a school volunteer in the drop-off line at Calusa Elementary. Come on. Lawrence Franklin, 34, was taking his daughter to school when volunteer William Deniman says the father was trying to cut in line. Mm, don't cut in to pick we up lines. We have lines for a reason. I said, no, 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 no. You're not doing that. That is wrong for the rest of the people who have been here. Then he blew the horn for three or four minutes at me. I just laughed at him. Just lean on it. Deniman said. Deniman, a retired Pasco County Sheriff uh, deputy, said he started to walk away when the car rammed into him. Wow, that was high speed. And he regained uh, his balance when he was hit. Franklin told police uh, that he let his foot off the brake. He didn't Mm. intentionally run into the volunteer. 
So he bumped him. He bumped him. Okay. Yeah, that that sound. Yeah, it sounded. Little, yeah. It sounded well. The, these cars are hollow now, so it sounded right. a lot louder than it really was. You're right. You're right. And yeah, he was arrested on scene and held on a thirty thousand dollar bond. Franklin's mother, or grandmother, says it's a misunderstanding. <laughs> you can see the, the the argument getting heated. Nobody backs down. Yeah, yeah. But that was that guy was on. No, 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 no. You're not doing that. You're not in, you're not cutting in at, line. At, at no point does anyone look around and go, "Wait a second, we're at an elementary school. We're trying to pick up our kids after school. Yeah, maybe we ought to just chill out here." What but about no. the kids? What we about the kids? Turn into this. It's the most important thing in the world, and people are in jail. <laughs> now, in London, they have a whole other thing they're focusing on, which is it seems a little weird to mm. me. Um, people are waiting in line because the popular West Coast burger chain In and Out. Yes. Has gone across the pond. They're opening up a restaurant in Swiss Cottage, London. Hmm. Right? It's attracting absurd number of burger lovers to the scene. Some dedicated people waited in line for a total of five hours to wow. get an In-N-Out burger. Really? Yeah, I don't know. Are they that good? <laughs> that was a little sound of... Homer Simpson. Is that Homer? Craving a burger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the a, a pop up. So it's like a kiosk at the mall. Just like a mall kiosk. It's only open from eleven to three. So they open it, and they they cook lunch, and people line up for before they get in line before the they, things even they, open. They lined up at eight a.m. and uh. about three hundred people were in line waiting for an In and Out burger. It is so good. Is it that good? Three hour line or five hour line in Liverpool or. Yeah. yeah. Kitty Pool, what what part of Kitty, England is this? Uh, Swiss and Cottage. Kitty Pool, London. London. <laughs> Kitty Pool, watch it out for Kitty Pool. good. Because the guy's out there. The guy there's slashing, slashing pools again. Anyway, it seems like, know. you know, America, I guess that's what's, you know, some people. But, I mean, we have a few of them around where I live, mm-hmm. and people are still lining up for them. They've been around here for years. Come on. I'm well, going to go get one today. You'll have college football teams come into town. If they win, coach stops at the In-N-Out Burger and gets the entire team uh, dinner. Yeah, then, yeah. And then it shows up on social media, and everyone's like, yeah, we had a hamburger. Seriously? If they lose, they have to go to McDonald's. Oregon State's old head coach used to do that. Really? Yeah. He'd stop. Everyone gets off the bus. In and out. out. is completely inundated with football players for about an hour, and then they leave. Just They were just in and out. On the way to the airport. In and out. Yeah. Um, any other headlines we need to pay attention to? President Obama yes. signed a bill into law. What? Now, usually that statement causes He's a lame duck president. Cause people to get very, right? very angry. But this one is called the Bathroom Accessibility in Every Situation Act. Okay. Now, I know current situations going on. North right. Carolina's had some people bills. Think, people really, oh, great. It's not that. Okay. It's, a, it's also called the Babies Act. Did we need a bathroom act? Apparently. Okay. This legislation requires that both men and women's restrooms in, public, uh, in publicly accessible federal buildings contain baby changing tables. Okay. The, there you uh, go. Representative David uh, Sline from Rhode Island first introduced the bill back in April. It received bipartisan support in Congress. So this is both sides of the aisle agree both men and women's bathrooms should have facilities to change baby's I, diapers. This is great. As the, the, this is David uh, Salin, the uh, representative of government, needs to do more to ensure the public buildings are family-friendly. No mom or dad should ever have to worry about finding a safe, sanitary place to change their baby, least of all in a federal building that's paid for by taxpayers. 
There you go. So uh, changing facilities, a table or other device suitable for changing a diaper of a child ages three or under mandates these facilities be physically safe, sanitary, and appropriate. There was some public, uh, what, Ashton Kutcher back in 2015 lamented the lack of changing tables and men's restrooms with his new child. Right. So he launched a change.org campaign. This representative, uh, representative from New York introduced the bill, and the guy from Rhode Island followed it through to show that it's a reality. Dads huh. change diapers, too. As, as a father, again, now, of a brand-new baby, there are multiple places I go where yeah. I know I can't change a diaper in that, well, that but bathroom. Didn't, couldn't you just say, oh, honey, I can't. Why does it have to be her all the time? And if she's off in a meeting or not yeah, with me, what am I supposed to do? No, then you just say, ma'am, can you go in that room and change my baby? That's not going to happen. Yeah. I need. To I be... like to just change them on the table at like a, yeah. a, at a Arby's. Yeah, just push everyone's food out of the way and do it right there. Yeah, that's good times. Good job, President Obama. That's good. I mean, really, make it easier for everybody. We will take a break. When we come back, Dr. Ron Hager will be joining us talking old age. It's not for sissies anymore. He's uh, going to be joining us from Utah's uh, senior games. You won't believe what uh, people are doing at uh, the ripe old age of 70 plus. It's amazing stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, that music, whenever you hear that music, you know it's it's got to be Dr. Ron Hager. Ron is our uh, health evangelist on the show, and uh, Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. His area of expertise is chronic disease prevention. Today he's calling us from St. George, Utah, which is where they have the senior games uh, welcome to the show, Ron. Hey, Matt. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. So you're down there in St. George at the Senior Games. Uh, explain the Senior Games for the listeners. Okay, this is the Huntsman World Senior Games. Uh, it's called the Huntsman World Senior Games because uh, uh, the Huntsman Corporation is the primary or the principal sponsor of the games, and they have been since it started 30 years ago. So this is their 30th uh, year anniversary. Huh. I've been I've been coming for the last 16 years, and uh, and I, I bring students down. Uh, with, this year we'll have about 80 uh, BYU students that come down. They they combine with students from Southern Utah University, Dixie State University, Utah Valley University, and and some other uh, schools. Uh, you know that have nursing programs and different things. And we do health screenings down here hmm. on the athletes and the. The athletes are 50 years old or older, and many of them are are much older. Uh, the, last week we had a, a woman from Ohio come through. Uh, she had about four gold medals around her neck for track and field. Wow! And uh, and she was 92 years old. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 92 years old. And uh, I, I I asked her about the gold medals, and she said, "Well, there aren't very many people in my age category." <laughs> <laughs> so I guess at 92, the competition isn't isn't uh, you know real strong. Uh, yeah, but, but she's anyway. still running. She's still moving. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, she was amazing, 
and, uh, and, and on her health screenings, you know, her blood pressure, her cholesterol, uh, her hearing, her vision, uh, you know, her cardiovascular risk, and we do all these assessments down here, and she did fantastic on all of them, so it's no wonder she's 92 and, mm-hmm. and competing. Uh, but, you know, we do find uh, people who are at risk. Uh, I, had a, I had a man come up to me today who was here last year, and by the way, there's a there's an 80% return rate at these senior games. This is the largest, uh, most well-attended senior games event in the world that, that that's conducted annually. Um, there are over 11,000 registered athletes this year at the senior games. Hmm. Wow! There are more registered athletes at this year's Huntsman Senior Games in St. George, Utah, than there were athletes at the Barcelona Olympics. Amazing. <laughs> If you can believe that, so they come from all fifty states and and more than twenty five different countries. I was just watching before uh, I had to call in. I was just watching uh, Russia compete against the USA in volleyball. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, there there are many former Olympians that are down here too. So it's not it's not like it's just a bunch of old people, right. you know, running around pretending like they're athletes. I mean, some of these people have been athletes. You know, pretty much their whole lives, and, and and even former Olympians, and they they play to win. One of the things I love about it are the stories about the screenings because you screen people, and then uh, they come back a year later and they tell you because you'll find stuff, just simple stuff. But talk about how how some lives have been saved by just your students there screening. Yeah, so that that that, that, that was what I was going to say. A, a man came up to me this morning shook my hand and said, I want to thank you for doing this screening. And the one he was talking about was uh, what's called carotid artery ultrasound screening. Now, we use an ultrasound machine to look at the main artery in the neck. And we do that um, to look at the general thickness of the artery, which can be indicative of what's happening throughout the body. But occasionally, we actually find some, some areas of, of, of localized plaque buildup. And, and he said last year he did that screening, and the students, you know, and, and they're highly trained. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they, they work hard to get ready for this, but they found, uh, you know, what would probably be considered significant um, plaque in the right artery. Uh, they estimated it was probably about a 60% occlusion, so about 60% of the vessel uh, space was being taken up by this plaque. Then they looked at the left side, and they saw the same thing on the left side, and they recommended that he follow up with his doctor. Now, this is the story that he told me this morning. So he, he was from Florida. So he said he went home, saw his regular doctor, who confirmed that there was plaque in both of the arteries and referred him to a specialist, a cardiologist. The cardiologist did an MRI, which is a, you know a more detailed screening than ultrasound. Yeah and discovered that it wasn't 60% occlusion, it was about 85% occlusion on both sides, and scheduled a procedure for the next day called a uh, uh, carotid endarterectomy. It's where they go in and surgically remove the plaque, and it's usually just the same-day procedure. It's not not terribly invasive. Um, And as he was leaving the hospital, he stopped in the cafeteria, he said, to have something to eat. And he said his left arm started moving up and down like he was leading music. Yeah. And he, he looked at it, and he thought, what is going on? Because he couldn't control it. He was having a stroke, Matt. Oh, my heavens. And, but fortunately, he was at the hospital. They got him right back to the cardiologist who was able to treat him and give him some uh, some blood thinners and some other things to, 
you know, help the blood flow continue. And then they got him right in for the, the carotid endarterectomy. And, and, and the doctor said he was a walking time bomb and that had, had he not been there, uh, that he would either be severely disabled from a stroke or, or, or maybe even dead. So, so that's why he came back this morning and shook my hand and said, thank you for doing this screening. Holy cow. My life. Yeah. Yeah. And then last week, we also do vision screening just for general visual acuity, but we also do a, uh, a glaucoma screening test where we use a little handheld device called a tonometer, and it measures, uh, you know, how much pressure is in the eye with with the little air puff, you know, that you've had when you go to the doctor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I hate that and, one. Uh, because I, so, I'm always anticipating so, when they're going to blow air in my eye. Yeah, I know. I know. So a lot, of, a lot of people were coming through that screening, and one of the things that we encourage the students to do that are down here volunteering is to also do the screening themselves. Mm. And so, and so uh, a girl, one of the volunteers who was like, you know, 22 years old, she did the screening and discovered that she had glaucoma. Oh, no way. And so she's 22 years old. And, um, and then we have a, a vision specialist that there, that, that's there that's doing the, a retinal scan. And so he, he actually did the retinal scan and he said, "You you need to see you know your your eye doctor as soon as you can." Hmm. And so now now's the time to catch that, right? I mean, she didn't know about any of this, and she's only 22 years old. But it's all about early detection. Uh, right. You know that that makes it easier, you know, to deal with and manage any health problems that you may have. Um, we had a man come through uh, a few days ago for the the blood pressure, and his blood pressure was too. Uh, it was a uh, uh, 210 over, no, sorry, it was 310 huh. o- over like 160. Oh, I mean, it was like, it, boy. That, that, that kind of blood pressure, Matt, is most people would consider that a medical emergency. Right, right, right. And you saved him. You, yeah, holy cow. We'll come back, Ron, more with Ron Hager. And by the way, if you're not getting the need to go get some, some uh, early, you know, prevention and, and, and just go be looked at. Anytime you get a chance to have somebody do just some basic uh, tests on you, good thing. Stick with us. More from Dr. Ron Hager, our health evangelist. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us from St. George, Utah, at the Huntsman World Senior Games, Dr. Ron Hager. Ron is an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's also uh, an expert in chronic disease prevention. We call him the health evangelist. Dr. Ron, thank you so much for uh, for being with us. Great, great to be with you. I'm having a great time down in St. George, and uh, one of the things that that I love seeing is how the students that are down here, you know, these are 20-something-year-old students for the most part, uh, how, how their whole perception of aging changes when hmm. they see these people down here. That's one of the most, you know, valuable things that occurs here at the games, at these health screenings, um, is, is, you know, students, especially young, well, just young people in general, you know, they have a certain perception of aging, and it might be related to something they've experienced, you know, with maybe their grandparents or or, you know, or something like that. But they come down here and they see 
you know, these 60, 70, 80, and even 90-year-old people uh, who are just vibrant, full of life, very engaging, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're bright, they're fully functioning, and it's a whole different perspective for them. All of a sudden, instead of maybe, I guess, being a, you know, worrying about getting old, uh, you know, they, I'm not saying they look forward to it necessarily, but they, they have a different perception, they have a different perspective on aging. And one of my students who has also done some internships in an assisted living facility, he said to me uh, just this morning, he said, you know, it's amazing. He said, the people here at the senior games are the same age as the people in this assisted living facility, yet these people are competing in sports and having a socially, you know, they're having a, a great time and an interaction. And then these other people in the, the assisted living facility, you know, are for the most part, uh, oftentimes wishing they were dead. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. So it, 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 it's kind of fun and, and really satisfying to see students having this paradigm shift when it comes to what it means to get older. And I mean, that I love that. I think you took 80 students down there, plus yeah. the others that are there from other schools. But man, we have we have tens of thousands of students on campus. It would be great if everybody could see yeah. that same paradigm and have that same shift. Yeah, well, it, 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 as I've been coming down for years, Matt, and I've worked with elderly in different settings, and, you know, probably the biggest difference is, is just a, a decision, a decision that at some point, you know, people make probably repeatedly in their life as to how they want to be when they get older. Now, I realize some people have, you know, physical limitations, um, but let me tell you, there are that there are all kinds of people down here who've had hip replacements, knee replacements, back surgery, mm. uh, but they don't let those things get in their way. They, they just say, look, maybe I am getting older, but I'm not going to let it keep me from doing what I do. One of my favorite people that I've ever met uh, down here was a, a, a man uh, who was, he was in his mid-70s, and when he came through the, the certain screening station, he had to give us his birth date so we could telling his age-related results of the screening. And I noticed that just a few days before, it was his birthday. And so I said, hey, congratulations, happy birthday. It's a few days late, but look at you go. You're celebrating your birthday by, you know, being here at the senior games. And he said, that, that's not what I did for my birthday. And I said, what did you do for your birthday? And he said, I did a north rim to south rim to north rim hike of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> and then I came to the senior games. How old was he? He was 74, I think, 74, 75 years old. Yeah, so in a single day, he does a rim-to-rim hike, and then three or four days later, he comes here, you know, to compete in the senior games. And, and you know, and you think, well, what kind of, you know, sports are these guys participating in, you know, these people? Um, they have archery, badminton, basketball, bowling, and they even have bridge. Now, bridge might be something you say, well, that sounds like a senior games event. Um but they also have cowboy action shooting. They even have cycling, like wow. road races and mountain biking, golf, horseshoes, uh, pickleball. Uh, they do racquetball. Uh, they have uh, shuffleboard. Again, that sounds more like a senior games event. Uh, but but some of these other soccer is the they, they field more teams for soccer. Are you serious? Uh, uh, I, mean, I mean for softball than for any other sport. Yeah. No, I've had I've had relatives go down and and win tournament the tournament oh, yeah. down there. And these and these people come in to play softball, Matt, and and the people on their team are from multiple states. 
because they actually recruit. So hmm. it's, it's not just like a hometown group. Uh, I mean, there'll be people from Ohio, Florida, uh, Michigan, and they're all on the same softball team. But uh, each one they, of those they things... They have all the track and field events. They have triathlon. Hmm. And as I mentioned, volleyball. Swimming. Volleyball is going on this week in something called the Global Cup, where it's not teams that compete against each other, but it's countries that compete against each other. I I told you earlier this morning I was watching Russia and, and the USA men's volleyball play in the Glo- Global Cup. These are the preliminary rounds, and and uh, Russia was killing the U.S. I, I think <laughs> it's because they must have hacked our computers and got into our playbooks. That's it. Russia, man. They're cheating. <laughs> you know, but what's amazing about it is, I mean, even if it bridge seems like it's not, you know, that intensive, it doesn't matter. They're active. All of these people are active and they're all traveling to go be active. I guess that's the key to this whole thing is moving. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly – and that's the decision I'm saying that these people make. And that's, that's a decision that anybody can make at any age. You know, how do you want to approach life? Do you want to be healthy and active or do you want to be sedentary and sick? Mm. I mean, you know, you just have to ask yourself what you want to do. Uh, you know, over the years, this is, like I said, this is their 30th anniversary. They've had 73 different countries represented over those over those 30 years here at the World Senior Games. Um, and, and this year they have athletes from over 25 different countries. And this year they'll, they'll award more than 8,000 medals. So, wow. you know, so just like you expect the Olympics, they do gold, silver, and bronze. Uh, although I don't think they're really gold, silver, and bronze. I think they're just, they look like that. But, yeah. Um, is, I, I also I also asked the the director of operations uh, for some fun facts, and he said at this year's games, which is two weeks in duration, uh, they're gonna they're gonna give out at the different venues thirty eight thousand four hundred and twenty apples, bananas, and oranges. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> so. So one of the really cool things about doing the health screenings that I that, that's important to me is that, like I said, there's an eighty percent return rate. So some of these athletes have been coming to this particular games event for, for years, even decades. And from a research perspective, uh, you know, we collect a lot of data down here uh, at these health screenings, and that gives us some insight, you know, into how these people track over time uh, with their various health risks and their, their outcomes of their screenings. And uh, some of the most recent data I've analyzed show that, uh, you know, nationally, uh, blood pressure goes up as people get older. In fact, in, in, in men and women uh, over age 75, it's about three-quarters of that population, about 75% have uh, hypertension. Hmm. In the senior games population, it's about, uh, it's about 25%. Wow. So, so just exercise and healthy living. Yeah, I, I mean, that's... I'm, and, and genetics is a part of that too, and, yeah. and that's correlational data. You can't say that, you know, that people who come to the games have lower blood pressure because they come to the games. I mean, maybe they come to the games because they have low blood pressure. Right. You know, and that, that's one of the, you know, the weaknesses of correlational research. But intuitively, I mean, common sense tells you that these people have low blood pressure because they take care of themselves. Right. Right. And and they and they do anyway. It it. It's been an awesome experience again this year, and I I do it every year. I try and recruit students to come down. Many of them want to go to medical school, which I think is a great thing for them because now they have a different perspective too. And and it's all about prevention, right? I mean, that the reason these people are here, uh, it, not necessarily that they're disease-free, 
but I think they're more focused on prevention than they are on treatment. And and at some point, you know, that that's got to make a difference. Right. That's well, what these, that's what you that's teach what us every week. About, right. Right. Prevention, yeah. prevention. Which again, when you brought up screenings. Maybe we ought to all just suggest to everybody when you're walking through the mall and they're doing a free screening, a health screening of anything, you probably ought to jump in. Yeah. You know, about five years ago, we had a we have a, a cancer screening station. Now, they're not actually doing cancer screening. It's more like just an educational sort of an opportunity. But the, uh, there was a woman uh, who was telling me uh, recently that a, a few years ago she was at these screenings. And at the cancer screening station, she was getting a little education on cancer screening, and they actually had some models, models of breast tissue. So, and you could actually palpate them so that you could tell what a lump in your breast would feel like. Mm. And she said she did a breast self-exam, and because of the education she had received, uh, she thought she felt a lump in her breast. And she went to see her doctor, and indeed she had breast cancer, and she caught it. And so, you know, in about the earliest. Stage, oh, that's great. And so, you know, five years later, she's back here at the game still cancer free. And, uh, you know, and she attributed, you know, that that little just that little tiny experience uh, to saving her life. See, possibly. Dr. Ron, you're saving lives. That is so cool. Really, that and that's your mission. And uh, that's why we love having you on the show. Uh, we appreciate Dr. Ron being with us. We wish him the best of luck down there at the Huntsman World Senior Games and all the students he's got in tow as well. Great stuff. We'll take a break and uh, come back. When we come back, we'll talk about a 2,000-year-old human skeleton that they just found. Mm, Interesting stuff. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, folks. Uh, doing the skeleton dance is what they are doing after finding a 2,000-year-old human skeleton found on now a famous uh, shipwreck, on the site of a famous shipwreck. The ancient bones. So now they got to go through and they got to figure out, okay, so the knee bone's connected to the thigh bone. I don't think those are the technical terms. Do you Probably think, not. Do you think that they work their way through the song as they're trying to uh-huh. figure it out? Yeah, but it's all underwater. Because you know, the thigh bone's the femur. This song is not very scientific. Patella, knee bone. No. no it's Hopefully not. they would be using the real names for these bones. You would think so. The find um, the, in the, in, uh, they found a human skeleton dating back more than two millennia. It's been recovered in the celebrated Antikythera shipwreck, um, which was by, found by who? last August. Who celebrates the shipwreck? Uh, it's just off the Greek Isles. But it's, it's celebrated? Yeah, they're okay. celebrating the Antikythera People just shipwreck. toss that into stories, and I think we need to dig deeper. Who is celebrating Well, the people that the found it. So, I mean, how many people are we talking about? Like five? Well, dozens. So we call it celebrated? I think yeah. that's overstating the well, situation. one person could celebrate. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's lonely. People are just taking liberties it's when a, they write. It's a different kind of celebration. The uh, They found it in the Aegean Sea. Uh, against all odds, the bones survived over 2,000 years at the bottom of the sea. Mm. So those pirates were against Kythera, Kythera yeah, right? Yeah, they, they, they were, were the anti- anti-Kythera. Yeah. 
Um, against all odds, the bones survived 2,000 years at the bottom of the sea. They they seem to be in good condition. I thought we were going to need a socioeconomic discussion on ancient no. times with their boats There's and a skull skeletons. there. But people are celebrating the shipwrecks. So. There's three teeth, an arm, a leg bone, and several pieces of rib. I'd say they're a few, bo- few bones shy. Yeah. It sounds like putting it half, together. they found half a body. Three teeth? Yeah. I know people with three teeth. No, but back then, oh. three teeth was a luxury. <laughs> right. If you had three teeth, you are, you are, you were blessed. Wouldn't that be funny if that was that was how you determined wealth? Man, he's got ten teeth. He's a ten toother. The they by the way the first bones recovered from the wreck have now been um, they're doing DNA sequencing on them hmm. to find out where these bones come from. <laughs> it's the most exciting discovery that they've made at the shipwreck site. That's why they're celebrating it. Why is it exciting? Because they found a body. A okay. body normally would not have lasted that long in salt water. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Like more, more just the fact that someone's exciting about excited about these celebrated shipwreck. Yeah. See the, the see the reason it lasted is because the body was trapped in the ship. Mm. And then it, the ship was buried relatively quickly, they believe. Reason to celebrate. Thus the celebration. <laughs> um, in the research team, which is led uh, experts from Woods Hole and the Hellenic Ministry of Culture and Sports can recover the DNA from the skeleton. So they, they do believe it's connected somehow to Greece, right? Hmm. Pretty cool stuff. It's all Greek to me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. No, that was... See? <laughs> Nelson loved Nelson it. Nelson loved it, yeah. Um, we've got about uh, just a few more minutes. Um, actually, just a couple minutes. Do do you... Any other news headlines that you want to get to me, Terry, before... Do you want to go to Mars? Up? No. There is a startup that is helping to uh, get you to help you save money for your own ticket to Mars. Really? Yeah. Elon Musk came out and said that he wants to get the ticket price down to around $200,000 per person. Okay. Um, Right now, there are a number of different companies looking to give people the opportunity to fly into space for as little as $75,000. Really? Yeah. I don't don't know if you want to do that on the cheap, though. That's what we were going to get you for your birthday, but there was a $5,000 limit. And it's like a one-way ticket. Great point. Yeah, yeah. Great point. We can get you there. We can't get you back. But even with the cost of the trip to space being significantly less expensive, it's still far too expensive for most. That's where a new financial startup, Space Vault, comes in. They've created a financial instrument that lets you save for that trip to Mars, and it invests in commercial space programs while you wait. Huh. I think this is a little too early for this. They offer a $10,000 certificate of deposit, which will be managed by a partner bank and will mature at the end of a 40-year cycle. And you should have enough money to finance your own trip to Mars. Okay. No? No. All right. I'm going to be really busy that week. <laughs> I won't be able to make it. Well, that's interesting. If you needed to finance it, now there's a way to do that. Of course there is when money's involved. Hey, as you know, uh, we didn't we didn't go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation because they're they're probably, you know, they're recording, they're an, recording interview. an interview. It's they're... breaking news. Really? Hard hitting. Okay. All kinds of information you've never heard of I've, before. Then I saved my Carmelo Anthony story. Save it for tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Because Did you pro- say caramello? Caramello. Oh, I love caramello. Stretch pro, it out. Pro athletes uh. in their bathrobes. A story for tomorrow. 
Uh, you won't want to miss it. But we will do our hero story as we uh, as we say goodbye to all y'all. The Syrian refugee becomes the wedding day hero for a Canadian couple. Listen to this. While Joe Dew was re- uh, ready for her wedding ceremony last weekend in Ontario, Canada, a tooth on the zipper of her dress snapped. Listen to this. Members of the wedding party raced to a neighbor's house to see if they could locate a pair of pliers and fix the dress. To their surprise, they found the neighbor, David Hobson, had recently taken in a family of Syrian refugees, and the father of the family, Ibrahim Halil Dudu, was a tailor. With some translation help, Halil uh, stitched up the back of Dudu's dress in front of an amazed wedding party. Wedding photographer Lindsay Coulter said she had never seen anything like it. This will always have a special place in the memory, in our memories, because of the generosity and kindness of a man who has been through such hardships himself. The moment was special for Halil Dudu as well. I'm so excited and so happy, Halil said. Uh, he told CTV News through a translator, I like to help Canadian people from my heart, he said. How cool is that? A Syrian refugee saves the day and the bride's day especially um how cool that's the key folks that's why we do the show to help you see that there's good in the world sometimes all you hear about's the bad but you know what just around the corner when you when you need it the most someone will be there to step up for you and you by the way could be there to step up for someone else so let's uh let's just do it let's just make the world a better place by being better people we'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas more information to help you live longer love stronger lead healthier happier lives you can also find us on iTunes on Stitcher go to byuradio.org go to the matttownsendshow.com tons of uh, tons of locations to get all of our uh, past shows but again we'll be back here tomorrow so stick with us until tomorrow make it a great one and let's look after each other we'll talk again tomorrow